Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzone. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a show about weirdos, doggone it. My name is John Boy, and it is John Boy Time, your host, John Francis Fahey. Joining me as ever, prettiest boy under the sun. Uh, he has three children in a trench coat, disguising themselves as an adult man. Each child ripped, shredded, huge cock. Um, Aaron Joseph Peter, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm good, John. Uh, you know, it is John Boy time. It is. Uh, but one thing Somewhere. I think you've, ne- you've neglected to mention <laughs> is that John Boy time kills. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> bro science has failed. <laughs> yeah. Peter is life. That's right. Yeah. And uh, John Boy Time Kills. Um, you know, we're all out here, in here, surviving. In, here. in the Matrix. Uh, inside the Matrix. And uh, my personal Morpheus is right here in the middle of my screen. <laughs> Dr. Matthew Brousseau, LSD. Yes. How are you, Matt? Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, things are fine. No complaints. Is it a hard knock life? No, nah, not for me right now. Cool, man. Yeah, no. It's, it's for us. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, it's not, not hard it's times. <sighs> oh god. How you guys doing? Good. You I good? just just had like a bunch of edibles and stuff. You just had you just had them? No, 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 not before. Okay, because we already I, I, had our talk about your accidental overdoses. <laughs> no, no, luckily. Oh boy. Ooh, ooh, I got myself in a mix up now. Um, no, yeah, I just said that the last couple of days. I was just like, I, I don't know. I just want to, um, just want to stay in bed and 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 watch stuff. But I'm always so, you know, get up and do something and like distractible. And then I was like. I'm just gonna, That's a you know. good trait to have. Like <laughs> yeah, the yeah, not yeah. the the not stay in bed and watch stuff trait is one of your better traits. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, but then I don't ever. But then I don't ever watch anything. So I was just like slow rolling, like you know, some gummies, and mm. uh, you know, when you're a little like stoned, you kind of take it in more. You think about it more, and mm-hmm. you're you're a little more likely to to stay put and watch. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I did that, but now I'm kind of like, all right, what the fuck now? You know, I'm like, yeah, let's uh, let's get let's get it going. Let's get outside. Let's go back to the studio. <laughs> get out um, of the woods. Now they're talking. They're talking about uh, when we're gonna be out. Like when we're gonna end this? Maybe after the fifteenth or something. They're saying. Uh, well, the. They're talking about reopening California, because California, Oregon, and Washington have kind of like a Western states pact. And they've yeah. outlined like six points of things that need to happen before we can kind of slow roll back into somewhat normalcy. And one of those things is having a plan for surges, which is having a plan to go back into safer at home ah. uh, because there will undoubtedly be more surges um, or outbreaks or whatever you want to call them. Um, and a few other things that they have to have in place. Um like social distancing guidelines for restaurants and public yeah and yeah like they're that. talking so, about that less tables I mean, they're doing and... a really i mean i'm not a huge fan i mean i do like gavin newsom because he's really good looking 
uh, and, and plays the moves. role. Yeah. Uh, but and I, I'm not a super huge fan of, of Garcetti, but yeah, they are both same. doing a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. Get, they're, yeah. They're heading it very professionally, and they are setting. I don't even like Cuomo, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's doing a pretty good job as well. Uh, he's not his brother, Chris, Chris Cuomo. Oh, boy, what a smoking hot guy that is. Uh, interesting, interesting to note, though, uh, in, you know, um, the most unlikely, uh, unprecedented, everybody's talking about the lack of precedent, um, uh, how there's these couple of politicians that have really surged in fame over their effectiveness that maybe wouldn't normally be so charismatic or, I mean, Cuomo being the obvious one. Right, you well, know, he, he's having a little bit of a, of a Giuliani moment, I would say. He is having a Giuliani yeah, sure. moment. Sure. Um, although Giuliani really did nothing <laughs> yes. to earn that moment. Right. It yeah. just he, it just happened that he was the mayor of that city at the time. Uh, yeah. The Giuliani moment was being a fascist and turning Times Square in from a drug hovel into Disneyland. Um, that was his moment, for better or worse. Right. Um, also, not his responsibility, really. More of a societal evolution. Let's be real. But he enacted some things to make it easier for businesses to get in there. Yeah, you got the M M&M and M store. <laughs> the M M&M and M store is. It's always the M M&M and M store that people point yep, to because yep, yep. they think it's just a big yellow M M&M and M spinning around just... on Forty Second Street. Yeah, and it's the M and M. Funny. And the yellow M M&M and M is the slow one. It's the slow He's fat. the one that talks like this. <laughs> That's right. You I know. think one of those M and M's is one of those M and M's voices is a famous person. Oh, like John Lovitz, the green. The yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the green, one's the green the girl. one. Yeah. Billy West is one of them, I believe. He's, he did. I think it was Billy West is the red one. Yeah. Get mm. Fry for Futurama and all kinds of. Oh, interesting. I think it is Billy he was West. on Howard Stern a bunch. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's a, a great voice actor. Yeah. He's Fry, like you said. Oh, and guess who the yellow one is? Tell me. J.K. Simmons. No. <laughs> it's J.K. Simmons. Aaron, shut up. I just looked it up right now, dude. You're serious? I'm 100%. I'm looking at it. He's looking at a picture of J.K. Simmons, painted mm-hmm. yellow. Yellow, Eminem, voiced by J.K. Simmons. That's so dumb, dude. Vanessa <laughs> Williams so, was the so brown dumb. one. That's so disappointing. <laughs> like, who did, did you, who did you think it yeah, could be? You, not J.K. Simmons, the Oscar contender, is the yellow yeah. fucking slow well, M M&M and M, and I'm the J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J.J. Simmons. Yeah. So you know. Anyways, I'm 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 imp- impressed. Not the right word. I'm satisfied. <laughs> I'm surprisingly satisfied with the job that. Uh, our West Coast politicians have done uh, yeah. addressing the crisis over here. What do you yeah. think about the ideas that the uh, the we got, uh, you know, herd immunity early because of all of our interactions with China? Who, who said that? That's just like a theory floating around that basically, you know, that we kind of like had more exposure because we're kind of like the gateway to those countries more than the rest of the country. And that we had more flights to Wuhan and stuff like that. Um, um no, because our, the death rates would be I mean, the death rate is pretty uniform over this country. So, um, I don't. I think we would have more deaths 
Mm. Yeah, if, 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 her, if herd immunity was being um, approached, we would have seen more deaths, like in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't buy that. Really, and I'm not a scientist, but yeah, I, I don't yeah, buy. I don't know much about medicine, you know. It seems like history. there would have been there's a there would have been a measurable increase in pneumonia mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before they classified them as COVID, right? Yeah, right. But I mean, maybe maybe it's because all. all the chemtrails we have in the air. Maybe it's because know? we're just like breathing fresh air, eating avocados, and doing yoga yeah. and chill time that we're just like, oh man, beach, yeah, uh, this virus. It might, it might be because we're. Uh... <laughs> Less of a friendly community. <laughs> than all we the don't have public transportation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, finally that's it pays off. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're spread out, not up. Um, yeah. Thank you, Firestone. <laughs> that red trolley would have been the death of it. Oh, man, that is a deep LA cut, John. Thank you. <laughs> you for like that. that? You like that Firestone <laughs> shit? I hope Greg Gonzalez is listening. You'll love it. <laughs> Greg Gonzalez of the LA Meekly podcast. I recommend everybody listen to it. Yes, I, yes. Him and Zany Daniel. Those uh, <laughs> are great guys. Mm-hmm. I love those boys. Uh, the two Gregs. I think they're like Back both home. married now or something. Yeah, yeah they're both engaged. Yeah. Jesus you know, they're, 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 they're having like a normal life, John. What we do is, is abnormal. <laughs> what we do is secret. <laughs> we, um, what we do is in the shadows. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, in the closet. <laughs> and out of it. Uh, uh, yeah, I want to say uh, send a shout out to our friend Dallas who sent us that portrait of the three of us. With the That's God, what Becky the Dallas. hell? How good? I mean, Dallas. Yeah. Boy, boy, brand you new really listener fucking... dived in really hard. You really <laughs> knocked it out of the park with that one. Yeah, and also you really uh, nailed Matt's hair. Yeah, well, John's yeah. hair. Look at John's mess. Oh, John's hair is yeah. perfect as well. Yeah. Mine is better than real life. <laughs> yeah, you look like a total psycho. <laughs> oh, I look like Roger from Doug. <laughs> the bully villain guy. He nailed the patchy facial hair, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, a, all in all, great job. It's all a justified and flattering yet unflattering portrait yeah. of all of us, okay. uh, mm-hmm. with the great mm-hmm. Chris Burden poem, of course. Oh God. Um. So thank you, Dallas. We'll post that on Instagram if we. And uh, shout out to our friend Josh from Oshkosh. Um, Oshkosh Josh. Oshkosh Josh. Yeah, he's. Oh my he's in gosh. English. Um. He got in touch, uh, but I uh, I don't want to I don't want to hold this up too much, Matt, because you have a you have a little bit of a a famous yeah. famous guy. Yeah, you've got a doozy for us here, huh? Yeah. Um, so this one's to be about. Uh, you've all heard of him. The fuck do you, does everybody know about him though? Is uh, Mr. Uh, Franz Kafka? Franz Kafka, Off, author of the Metamorphosis. Yes, yes. Most famously, right? Now well, I'm going to tell you uh, right up front, completely ignorant about uh, Kafka. Uh, Do you know anything about his work at all? No. Uh, no, I mean, I know what the metamorphosis is and, you know, what it had an influence on. Um, real quick, uh, we have, I think, 679 subscribers on YouTube right now? Yes, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty hot stuff. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, we, you know, we got a bunch of shit up there. All of these videotapes of these episodes are up there. You can watch us. PP Podcast on Twitter. Profiles and Eccentricity on Instagram. And join the Patreon, five bucks a month, extra episode a week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's worth it. You know? Yeah. You know? It... <clears throat> now, tell me, uh, Kafka was a German fella? Uh, well, he was he was born in Prague. Uh, so oh. I, I, I want to say, uh, before we get into this, uh, his life itself, we're going to talk a little bit, we're going to talk about his life, we'll go through his whole life, mention his works, 
And then after that, we'll kind of go, I'll give you a deeper dive other than the basic outline of the story, kind of mm -hmm. themes and maybe some of the ideas behind it. Okay. But first, I want to give you his life. Give, give me his life. Please so Franz Kafka, he, he has, in, in the minds of people today, you know, Kafka-esque is a phrase. And usually it's something that is bewildering or frightening to people. Um, but for me, I always found him um, funny. And yeah, a lot of absurdity. Yeah, and I and, always when I when I heard that phrase, I always got, took it as almost Cronenberg esque. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. In I that think that's the, the, the modern the shocking equivalent. nature of it was almost hilarious, absurd. Yeah, yeah absurd. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the the illogic that is built in that everyone treats as logic. Right. Um, so he was born in 1883 in uh, Prague, Bohemia, Habsburg Empire. So those are the he was born in the city of Prague, in Bohemia. Which at the time was Bohemia. Was which is at the time... The Habsburg Empire. Right. And he was born uh, a Czech-German speaker, mm -hmm. who was also Jewish. Ah. Boy. So his nationality, in, in essence, was Czech, but he was uh, a, a mainly German speaker, because mm -hmm. the, the version, the Yiddish that they were speaking... Uh, uh, that also uh, had had a connection to German, so it was a, very, a natural in, and but he was also Jewish, and these are um, th three three parts of himself that uh, he never uh, necessarily came to terms with. But we'll we'll get into that. We'll touch on that. Th those identity points. You mean? Yeah, he, his hmm. his identity um, was something that it constantly was flirting around him, transforming into something else. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, so he was born in, 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 in Josephoff, or, uh, Joseph, uh, Josephoff, yeah, J-O-S-E-F-O-F. -F. It was one of the oldest ghettos in Europe. Older, seven, seven centuries of Jewish visionaries lived Whoa. and died there. Um, uh, he, he called it my prison cell, my fortress. Oh, boy. He had many conflicting uh, feelings about so much in his life. Uh, he was born uh, the... The eldest child of Herman and Julia Kafka. Uh, he, they would later have three girls who lived and two boys who died in infancy. Uh, his father was a huge man, especially for that time. He was 6'2", big shoulders, powerful, loud, self-made. He would sit at the dinner table and he would chew the bones of the food. Ugh. And he would yell at anybody else who did it. <laughs> I chew the bones of this table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you, some kind of savage? You trying to ah. cut me in my own dinner table? Oh, Kvolt. <laughs> so Her Herman, uh, 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 Franz's father, he was born in extreme poverty in this uh, bohemian village called Osek, and his father was a ritual butcher, so he'd kill the animals for rituals. Uh, and by age seven, Herman was, uh, was pushing a peddler's cart. I don't know if he was apprenticing or assisting, but he was working. He hmm. was not, not schooled. And uh, he later married into uh, he later married Julie, and he got a small amount of money, and that was enough to start his own uh, shop as a salesman. Um, and he was kind of a bastard as an owner. There's a story about him having to go to after one afternoon, having to then go to each employee's house of residence and ask them not to quit because they had all quit on mass because <laughs> he was such an asshole. Uh, uh, Herman. Herman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to his children, he was sarcastic and harsh. 
<laughs> uh, it, <laughs> my, my two main sources for this are uh, the R. Crumb, David Zane uh, Merowitz book, Kafka. And it has R. Crumb's fantastic... Uh, oh, that's uh, excellent. No disgusting, shit. Disgusting, weird That's a drawings. perfect artist it, to it, do it, a it Kafka absolutely book. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he that's can, he can I, go very serious where necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's only one set of tits in this. Hmm. Oh. Any <laughs> but they're exquisite. Big ass ladies with huge poop pubes I mean, coming out of their. That bottoms. was more. That was more of our, our, our crumb personal choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can always inject a little bit of your own <laughs> yeah, your DNA. sensibilities. Uh, and uh, um, so, so that's uh, that was that's kind of my source for um, a um, the the historical um just the the dates and and life um but then the the uh, part of that part of it is also this uh, book uh, Richie Robertson's Kafka a very short introduction where he kind of goes more into the theory but there's also a touch of life there too to explain some of the theories so uh one of them says that uh, uh he Herman sells fancy goods the other one calls him a fashion retailer uh mm-hmm. but Herman uh, in, in this uh in Prague he he declares that his family's check um and and even though they they live in this ghetto, the store is not necessarily in it. So they they kind of live this double life. And later there would be anti-Jewish riots, and and mm. his shop would be spared. Ah, because he did not claim he claimed to be Czech. Yes. Right. Uh, however, he does go to synagogue a couple times a year, <laughs> instead of the weekly or daily. And uh, uh, he 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 would bring Franz with him. Uh, Franz uh, later describes this as uh, quote. Uh, preliminary sketches made in hell for later life in an office. Ah, wow! <laughs> describes oh boy! <laughs> but but fr- and that and that translation holds up, right? Like, well, yeah, that, well, there, yeah. There are there's a lot about the translation from his German into English. There are many things, and we'll touch on that later. And uh, that clearly holds up. That probably is a yeah. pretty basic Across, translation. You know, the yeah. translinguistics of uh-huh. it works out mm-hmm. yes. because yeah. it sound it. The rhythm is beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's a very uh, it's a very uh, office space level. Uh-huh. Yes. But uh, even as a kid, uh, Franz enjoyed the the, the kind the Hasidism and, and the idea that life on Earth and the intricacies among it are mystical and God is approachable and not some faraway being. Uh, hmm. He did he did find something in that. Uh, he he later says he was a pampered and difficult child, often in trouble with authority, whether it his it was his father or uh, his par- Both of his parents worked. His mother did the books at his dad's shop, and uh, so he, they had a a governor or a servant take them to school. And he said the servant would often threaten him on his way to school and say he, that the servant would tell the teacher if he ever did anything bad. Hmm. Oh, boy. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're fucking, it's, a, it's a child. If you're going to tell on the teacher, you're an adult. Uh, <laughs> when I tell his parents. But he said his mother, he always felt his mother didn't really understand him, and it, whether that was because of his father's, you know, <laughs> the way he dominated the household... Right. Uh, there's a story where she uh, he he writes to one of his uh his, I wonder his girlfriends. if she I wonder if she couldn't understand him because he was Franz Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't understand himself at times. So yeah. yeah, there's definitely that. She doesn't get it. <laughs> but, he, You're he, so Kafka esque, Franz. <laughs> what is it down, about you? You get downright Cronenbergian. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue, Matt. No, no, you say he, he he writes about this one one time where um, uh, uh, later you know he he lived until his parents' house until he was about thirty one, 
and which is not abnormal uh, for that time, I believe. And um, if you like that sort of thing, if you're into it. And she, uh, his, his mom uh, kisses mom, him. Mom, sis. <laughs> his mom kisses him goodnight, and and he's like, "Oh, that was nice." And she's like, "Oh, I would, I never did this before because I always thought you didn't like it, but now that I know." And so he's like, you know, you know, it was like took ten years for for that level Wait. of intimacy to emerge. <laughs> Wait, are right. you being weird porno about it now, or no, is that real? No, 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 no. Like, you know, if you, oh, you don't mind if I give you a kiss goodnight? I always thought that freaked you out. Well, now oh, he's never going to fucking leave home. Yeah. <laughs> the kissing starts now? <laughs> Shit, I'm going to be here until 48. <laughs> not, not when he's 30. I think he's in his teens with this happening. Oh, okay. First okay. time to kiss him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh but, God! But, but, and I think largely because of his father, he 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 would later write that he believed that paternal love was a form of selfishness. Paternal love was a form of selfishness, and, and it, it <laughs> alternates between tyranny and slavery, even if it's well-meaning. Because you know, oh. the, to him, something like "you have to listen to me, I am your mother." Yeah, that well, that's tyranny, and right. and the phrase "you have to do this, you're my son," that's slavery. To right, him. right. Um, huh. And also, yeah, I think I, I buy some of that. You know, there is, um, there was, so this is out of nowhere, but it, I think it applies. Uh, Bill Burr, comedian extraordinary, had this great joke about the problem with having uh, kids and then getting a divorce or whatever was that, you know, this kid ends up being something that half looks like you and half looks like someone you want to slap the shit out of. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this kind of selfish, it's the, it's the brilliance of, of nature and evolution is that you can't help but love the thing that kind of is you and looks sure. like you and it helps, it makes you keep it around a little bit, but on the or, other hand, you do kind of make it rub your feet and take out the trash whenever you don't want to do it. In some bad cases, you might hate it because it reminds you of you. Of course, of course. Right. Yes, very good. But not any of the three of us, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. Love each other and ourselves deeply. And only and, ourselves. And more than anyone else. That's right. Yeah. Except but, the fans. Uh, yeah, except for the fans. <laughs> so his father was always kind of a bastard. You know, he would, um, of course, he would hit him. Um, spank him. He once he would yell at him. He once said, "I, I will, I will uh, uh, gut you like a fish." I believe it was the phrase. Oh, his dad too. His, yeah, so his mm -hmm. dad was uh, quite authoritative, and um, and you know Kafka never grew up to be a big man like him. So there was always, you know, his dad expected him to be a tough, a tough man, and Kafka never uh, felt like he was ever that guy. Probably um, needed but, to go in some kind of cocoon or something. Well, John, that's funny. Mentioned that in one of his later stories. Hmm. Uh, cocoon. Well, the burrow. Oh, that, so he could turn into an old time. man in a swimming pool in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to turn into a big guy that beats his turn kids. Turn into Steve Gutenberg, <laughs> Wilford Brimley, Jack Lemon. Diabetes. So even though they're not practicing that much, at thirteen he does have a bar mitzvah. Uh, at his time, is his parents call it a confirmation. And, uh, like a as, Catholic confirmation. Well, because as Robertson, Robertson ah. describes it as as it dominant Christianity, typical of assimilate assimilated Jews. It's kind of yeah, like Jews celebrating Christmas here, mm -hmm. right? Exactly, right. In the United States of America. Uh, 
What, what it's, an, it's, a, it's just a Western holiday at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, when he's 16, he reads uh, Darwin's Origin of the Species, uh, Haeckel's uh, Riddle of the Universe. He reads a lot of Nietzsche when he's growing up. I, mean, I think it's very common. Nietzsche was huge then. Hmm. Um, at, at 16... Uh, and he probably you know, read it in, the, in German. Yes, yes, he did. Which is the language yes. to I read know, it in. What, what time frame would this be? So, uh, so he's 16, so it's 19, uh, 1899. Okay. And uh, that's a contemporary of Nietzsche at yes, the time, right? Yeah. Like, he's, he's read around. Yeah, he's, he, he's, well. he came out, you know, I think, I think Riddle was out uh, 10 years before or so. Uh, sixteen. When he's sixteen, a, a Christian girl is found dead around Passover. That's where the Jews are all blamed for this. So a Jewish man is arrested, railroaded. He's sentenced to death. Later commuted, but he's still in life, for, uh, prison for life. Anti-Semitic riots break out. Jesus. Um, uh, you know, th- and this was, you know, it, 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 in such a, a mixed culture, the the Jews were always the scapegoat. Of course. Um, not like the because they're not now. Uh, <laughs> But, but, well, no, but it, they're an easy target because they stick together mm-hmm. and they maintain their culture despite being assimilated into the culture at large, but they, they're they still their own people. Yes. And it's an easy target. And their, their ghetto is called disgusting, and there's at one point they have the... It's surrounded by walls, and, and, and Prague tears the wall down, and shortly after, they the Jews themselves put up wire fence. Hmm. They put a wire fence around their own ghetto. Yes. Oh, that's a dirty trick. That's a dirty <laughs> trick by the Gentiles. No, by the Gentiles. By the non-Jews. Yeah. How, how do you mean? Well, uh, walls work. Walls work both ways. Right. Not only do they keep people out, but they also keep you in. And if you can trick somebody into putting up their own barbed wire. Yes. Right. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. It does. I think also part of it is that if you can it's go out tricking into... Tricking the cows into putting up electrified fence. Right. But part of that also is you're more willing to do it if you know that you kind of have the cunning to go out into Gentile culture and be assimilated and make your way in the world. And then you're like, well, the only place they can really find me is at home. So I'd rather keep them out of here because I know I can assimilate in their world. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah, sure. Suppose, yeah, you know. You but they are so all they are going back to a mandated ghetto. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's seven hundred years Gaza old or so. I mean, but also, you know, they leave the ghetto and there are, you know, there are people on the street all over Prague, you know, with pamphlets, anti-Jewish pamphlets, or the, they'll they'll yeah. have one of those, uh, you know, picture boxes, and in it is a a, a caricature of a Jewish man murdering someone. Oh, this is just on the street. Like, Jesus. there's no way a Jewish person in Prague at this time could go around and not think there was an anti-Semitic streak all the way through the city. Right. Because there was. Because there was. And it was open and in their faces. There, was, there were children would sing songs in the streets Oof. about it. Do you know the lyrics to some of those songs, Matt? <laughs> this is heart? one of them. This, uh, from, <laughs> this is from the uh, R. Crumb. Which I'm uh, sure you do. Merowitz book. This is children singing in the street. Uh, don't ever buy sugar from the Jews. Everybody's heard the news. A Christian girl killed by the Jews. Wait, it rhymes in English, too? I'm sure there's, you know, artistic license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't buy the sugar from the Jews. Hmm. It might be Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Only your dealer knows. <laughs> Can I get some of that Jew sugar? 
Can I get some of that burger sugar? Oh boy, made myself laugh. I'm sorry, listeners. But so so you know, as this is going on though, Kafka himself is um, it's it's not like that. He necessarily feels like he's he's just aware of it, and he he writes. He says, "What do I have in common with the Jews? I don't I don't even have anything in common with myself." (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's also maybe the most neurotic Jewish thing you could ever say. So <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that's what... it sounds like Woody Allen said <laughs> it. Uh, it sounds like Larry David said <laughs> yes, it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what they write. That's what the... yeah, it's coming. The Jews. I don't even come with myself. <laughs> it's one of those ironic things where it's like, that's how you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yes. how you know you're Jewish. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're it's it's self-deprecation. You, you'll know the affinity. Mo- the moment you're self-deprecating like that. Right. Yeah. It's like Groucho Marx. I don't yeah. want to be a member of a club. Then it would have me exactly. as a member. Exactly. Yeah. Which means you're part of a tribe, not a club. <laughs> <laughs> Five thousand years of rich history from Moses to Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, 1901, he's 18. He enters university. He studies law. Um, and there he meets uh, Max Brod, who uh, would become a, a famous uh, author and journalist. And, and is he become... a German? Uh, is he a Jewish fellow? What's his? Uh, uh, Brod, yes, I believe so. Yeah, Brod sounds like a Jewish fellow. Uh, and um, they, would be, they would be friends for the rest of, uh, close, very close friends for the rest of Kafka's life. Uh, while, while he's in college, he reads Plato and the original Greek. He reads Dostoevsky. He calls Dostoevsky a true, a blood, a true blood brother. Um, uh-huh. he, he reads the, the French philosophers in French. Um, he would wear a, a red carnation in, in his lapel, in his buttonhole, huh. because he was a, he, he believed he was a socialist. Yeah. Ah. And um, he starts, he, he, he is an athletic uh, a, a boy. He he comes he comes of age in this time um, when when the belief of the balance between the mind and body is shifting. So so before this you have Descartes and rationalism, and 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 what it was is that the body had to be controlled and countered by the mind, right? So the Victorians would wear clothes that that constricted the body, that reformed the body through constriction uh, and forcing it out of its natural movement, right? You tilt the necks up, right? Uh, the waist's the, in. Yes, exactly. I'm still uh, listening. Keep talking. Then in 1884, Nietzsche writes that only a child says they are body and soul. An enlightened man instead says, I am body entirely. The soul is only a word for something in the body. Oh, God. That's, that's wonderfully just uh, depressing, isn't it? <laughs> but no, it's dude, the was a troubled man. You're but, nothing but, but, but brilliant. meat, dude. You're nothing but meat. That other shit is fake. <laughs> But there's a bunch beauty of in the shit. meat, is what he's getting at. Yes, hot I mean, meat. And, and <laughs> Aaron, you're telling me. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's the idea of a, bo- a bodily progress through not restriction, but action, as opposed mm-hmm. to making your body better by, by forcing it. You, you let the body act naturally. And Do its so thing. Nudism started becoming popular. Nudism was healthy. People started wearing looser clothes that let the body breathe. Um, nice. it, it led Sick. to this... This thing goes and shit. It, it led to this thing called the the Van der Vogel movement, which encouraged hiking and open air swimming and rowing. 
And Nietzsche would say, Nietzsche said, you say I, and you are proud of this word, your body and its great intelligence does not say I, but performs I. Ah, oh, that's mm. nice. I like that a lot. You like that? I as a performance. Mm-hmm. Yes. I and, sing the body electric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Kafka and Broad, they, they would go hiking every weekend. Twice a day, Kafka would do calisthenics in front of yeah, an open window. Yeah, what a Brokeback Mountain. Maybe. I mean, there was, there was much latent homosexuality in, in, in Kafka. Broad? Broadback Mountain? <laughs> no, I said Brokeback, but okay. Brokeback's even funnier. Good it job, is. John. You yeah. fucking homophobe. <laughs> I don't even understand. I just made a pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Real convenient. <laughs> you made the fucking stupid homophobic joke, you shithead. I love Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and I do, too. I love when Spider-Man buttfucked the Joker. <laughs> Yeah. It's not even Spider-Man? Spider-Man? No, it's not Spider-Man. It's Mysterio. I know. You I, know. I love when Spider-Man butt fucked the Joker. Well, that's a crossover. I'd watch. What do you want? So what if? All right. Write it. Write it, loser. I am. I already did. I drew it. <laughs> so Kafka, he would do calisthenics in front of an open window twice a day. Oh, nude? Uh, no. He was Even when he went to the... the um, uh, sanatoriums, the uh, the workout places. He many people would get nude. He usually did not get nude. Open window, yeah, for an open. Well, because it's the fresh air. It's part of this being a part yeah. of the ah, Vol- yes. being a part of nature. The Van der Wilders. He he uh, he he started following the teachings of uh, Horace Fletcher and masticating his food until it was liquid. One of those one of those programs that for the health of the body you will yeah. chew the food so many x number of times. Yes. And, 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 Is there and anything around... about that that's scientifically accurate? Uh, you you are supposed to chew your food pretty significantly, uh, more than uh, certainly more well, than I do. do. Mm. I mean, it, it, you have less heartburn if you chew your food more. Chew the fuck out of that shit. Nice. You got your mechanical digestion in the mouth, and then you got the chemical digestion in your stomach. Hot. Super hot, bro. Mm-hmm. He also uh, uh, I don't know if it's around this time, but I think it's around this time. Uh, Kafka also becomes a vegetarian. Hmm. Huh, like he finds he, he he finds meat uh, kind of disgusting. <laughs> he, he find it it make it makes him feel it makes him feel disgusting, and maybe because it's a bloody process. I'm not, not exactly sure. The savagery of the flesh is something. <laughs> and his father was a ritual ritual. Uh, his grandfather was a ritual slaughterer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fucking yeah. interesting. I feel like Nietzsche ended up being a vegetarian as well, but that mm. might be wrong. Um, I mean, Self torture is a hell of a drug. Yeah, it is. You you know anybody that's holding? <laughs> you got any of that self torture? Nineteen oh six. He's uh, um, twenty three. He graduates uh, from university. He does the the normal. You do one year of unpaid work, and then the next year he gets a job. Um, and he hates his. He, he gets a job. I believe he's working for an insurance company. I didn't write down, but but he, it's twelve hour days, and he hates it because he he has started writing. And if a 12-hour day, he can't. He doesn't have energy or time to write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after two weeks, he he resigns. Then he gets a job at this place called the Works, Workers Accident Insurance Institute for the Kingdom of Bohemia. Oh god! And he becomes a workplace injury investigator. Oh boy! And no, Matt. I'm sorry to yes. derail. So he you was the guy in Fight Club. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. What is the, the the nature of the word Bohemian with the with the place Bohemia? Uh, and Aaron, chime in too, please. 
Well, it's it's the part, Matt. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to you. For anybody that uh, doesn't know, I just but it's it's the area known as Czechoslovakia, or once known as Czechoslovakia, that then became Czech Republic and Slovakia, mm-hmm. uh, which contained Prague and right. Okay. Uh, but Matt, you may have a more accurate map. Than no, no, no. I uh, that's, that's one thing. Does. That's one thing I honestly didn't look up. But but I think in, in that is you know there's a city within a state within the empire, and you know Bohemia in effect is the is a state within. And the word empire. Bohemian was that because they did they did have some, you know non Bohemian uh, bone came... chewing <laughs> kind of attitude. Well, well, well they, did they the, have, the, did they the have fo- some laid back kind of non aggressive thing that led well, to that. Well, there's a lot of you know, that kind of like that, yeah that gypsy kind of lifestyle that look that Bohemian. Uh, uh, aesthetic uh, had has roots there okay. in that area of the world. So in Bohemia, uh, well, Bohemia was a um, a nation state at a time, or area, that's like saying Persia now. Yeah. Persia doesn't exist anymore. It's Iran, right. right? Yeah. But Bohemia eventually broke up once there was this kind of balkanization of that whole area of the world. Actually, balkanization comes from the Balkans. Yeah. The splitting up of that. Yeah. Um, Empire. So that's my understanding. I know there's going to be smarter people who also have the luxury of looking it up online, but right now we're recording, so we're doing our 70%. Okay. I just, I, I don't know that, and I wanted to see if anybody else did, uh, but uh, neither of you helped. So that was perfect. Great. Yeah. Next time, don't ask so many questions and just listen. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 you know, it, it, I believe it's something in the vein of LA. Within California, within the United States, as far as the the lifestyle, well, well, the li- I mean, the lifestyle. You know, there are a lot of uh, a lot. Of, Prague was a hot spot for oh, uh, much Googling, like much like Vienna, much yep, like Vienna. Prague was a hot spot for um, uh, a lot of uh, at the time modern thinkers and artists. Uh, yeah, artists. Kafka, Kafka met. I mean, Kafka and Broad were. Uh, uh, ran in these circles of artists and and writers that were um, right. It was like 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 what Vienna was for philosophy. I think yeah, maybe Prague was yeah. kind of like for art. Yeah. Um, and that of course attracted a certain lifestyle of person. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm ready to. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> good. Good question. Uh, so he starts working for this uh, Workers Accident Insurance Institute, and so his job there is to investigate workplace injuries. And deny and, claims. <laughs> no, no. He was, he was, uh, he, he took the workers, you know, being a socialist, I assume, you know, that had something to do with it. And uh, he was very proud of, of helping the workers and oh, solving man. their problems. Um, there is an, ap- I think, I believe it's an apocryphal story, but, but one person says that they believe him to be uh, the designer of the first uh, uh, um, uh, hard hat. But he does, he, he does say. Really? Yeah, but it, I don't know if there's any evidence. It could be bullshit, but it sounds well, someone right. said it, and then someone this, else said there's no evidence hat for it. This hard is Kafka-esque. Yeah. <laughs> but, but fucking he, tentacles growing out of it and shit, but it works. Through, through, through all of these investigations, he does design many laws that then do go on to save a lot of lives. Really? And because so he, gradu- he graduated with a law degree. He graduated with a law degree, yes. Yeah. So uh, OSHA brought to you by Kafka. Yeah, in essence, you know. Yeah. But he, That's so great. He, but he's constantly inundated with all of these workers whose fingers are are cut off from, especially in the lumber sector. <laughs> Their fingers are cut off, and so he has he has these diagrams of all the different ways the fingers are cut off. 
Uh, so that informs his literature down the road. Well, sure. He, he, he writes about it. This is what he writes about. He's, uh, oh, he's, talk, he's, he's talking about some of, uh, all of his cases, and he writes, People fall drunkenly from scaffolding into machines. Beams collapse. Ladders come crashing down to the ground. Whatever is lifted up falls down. Whatever is spread on the ground, people trip over. And it gives one a headache to think of all those young girls in Chinaware factories who keep falling downstairs with huge piles of dishes in their arms. Oh, my God. <laughs> What a travesty. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. He's just, he's just seeing a never-ending Three Stooges episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time. But instead of the Stooges, it's like people are actually getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So most of Bohemia was basically Czechoslovakia. Aaron, we moved on, dude. <laughs> well, I, I just yeah, want... I know, I know there's going to be somebody just, on fucking Patreon stop. who's going to be like, actually, and they're going to push their fucking <laughs> spectacle Warby Parkers up their bridge nose, and they're going to say some bullshit. You got done saying you loved them. No, not on Patreon. We love those people. <laughs> Did I say anything negative about them? <laughs> you said pushing up Warby. Warby. I wear Warby Parkers. Man, you don't even know who the fuck Warby Parker is. He's part of Bohemia. You know what? It's my favorite porn star. <laughs> I can't, by the way, can't believe Warby Parker is not a porn star already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, I get it. So, 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 yeah, so uh, Kafka's in his 20s now, and he spends a lot of the time, um, you know, uh, when he's younger, he's encouraged by his dad to do it, but he does it now normally. He's, he visits brothel, brothels often. Um, he enjoys pornography. And um, why? What kind of pornography <laughs> did they have? I don't know. You know, Civil War playing cards. Oh, yeah, they got them from you. I learned <laughs> yeah. it by watching you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Big Magazine back then was Chicks and Insects. <laughs> uh, I'm sick. I'm insects. <laughs> but Spider. Uh, I can't. What? A... <laughs> Insect. Oh, boy. Chicks with insects. Uh, Max Brode calls him uh, an incessant wo womanizer. Um, Whoa. No, womanizer. He, he is. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that gets lost in this idea of, of Kafka is uh, he was a womanizer, but he also was, he, he was constantly back and forth. He, he was a womanizer, but he also had this insane fear of, of sexual failure. Yeah, so, I get it. So, so he found <laughs> sex to be uh, 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 gross, but also he, it, it all, there's a quote I'll get into it in a little bit. But he also found it amazing. That's you know, what we call that toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, tasky, to toxic Kafka, Kafka entity. I don't know, I didn't do that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, 1908, he has his, his first uh, published works, and it's eight stories in a literary magazine, magazine called Hyperion. No word on how it went. It was just, this is the first time anything was published. That's pretty dope. Uh, 1911, he's 28. He gets a job at his uh, brother-in-law's asbestos factory. Oh, nice. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not a I'm big fan of it. I'm going to go back home and drink some roach puree before I go to work at my brother-in-law's asbestos factory. <laughs> well, the, the making tomorrow's cancer today. <laughs> Oh boy. 
listen, if we could manufacture depression, we would. We can only come up with this asbestos. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so perfect. The Kafka would work in an asbestos factory. Yes. I, w- I wonder what informed his ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! It's like the, like there was something he corroding in his mind. He worked in factory. <laughs> but uh, oh. so so um, ma- machinery in his stories often, and there's a, there's a philosophical. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, turning against the machines, not the asbestos. But, <laughs> but but machines feature largely in his stories, and and yes. sometimes they're physical, and sometimes they're organizational. But they but the machines are the things that usually destroy the people in his stories, and and routine. And people mm-hmm. doing routine to the point where the routine dehumanizes them. Yes, mindless mechanization. Yes. And yes. some of this is from Weber uh, or Weber. Uh, but some of this is also what we talked about in the Sam Patch episode, which is when, when, when you are removed from the product, when you are only doing a piece of it, the artistry and the understanding cube. of it. John, you love Cube. I was just going to say that's exactly the, the Cube thing. Yeah. They're like, uh, well, I just designed the doors. Yes, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be for. And there, there's a lot of characters in Kafka where I just do this thing. I don't know what this whole process is. I, I do yeah. this. Cube that's, is Kafka esque. It's very, very yeah. That's John's favorite movie. I mean, it's my favorite bad movie for sure. Yeah, well, it was so so uh, the asbestos factory. Uh, many of the workers are just are are uh, local girls, women, and and Kafka writes of them. He. he uh, they bother him, and not the people themselves, but but what has happened to him. And he writes, uh, "The girls in their unbearably dirty and loosened clothes, with their hair as untidy as when they woke up, with the expression of, on their faces frozen by the incessant noise of the transmissions and by the automatic but inexplicably halting machine, are not human beings. Nobody greets them. Nobody apologizes for bumping into them. If they are called to do some small task, they carry it out immediately, and return to the machine." They are shown what to do by a jerk on the head. They stand there in their petticoats, subject to the, 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 the pettiest power. They have not even enough calm, good sense to acknowledge and conciliate, conciliate the power that by their looks and gestures. It, so and these conci- women have become parts power. of the machine. Yes. Yes. Well, and why and only the women? And they're treated as such. Yes. Because those are jobs women had. Yeah. I mean, they, they, it, it would be anybody else, but it, the women it was a woman job. Wow. Those women were taking our jobs. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and because of the routine, they don't even have enough, as he says, good sense to acknowledge that they could have power. <laughs> they don't even have the, the frontal lobe <laughs> to understand. All of the biomass has been appropriated to the breasts and their assholes. So the, the frontal lobes have not been developed in such a manner for them to develop God. independent thought. <laughs> Therefore, they are treated merely like asbestos widgets in a grand bureaucratic machine that serves only the greater purpose of the society at large. I fear, <laughs> I'm beginning to fear that the quality of the asbestos will not reach its true potential. <laughs> it will not reach purely masculine ideals of asbestos. <laughs> Can I just tell you guys that you guys are really fucking up this asbestos <laughs> with your female you know, this asbestos machine is really hybrid about, shit? I would only pay about 70% of what this asbestos is worth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. asworstus. 
<lacht> ja, ah, deutsches Bier. Ah, das Beste. <lacht> oh, you knew where I was going. Both of you motherfuckers I, I knew didn't. where I was going. I didn't. Ah, I didn't. Asbestos. <lacht> If I had seen it before, I would have jumped all over for sure. But you didn't That's see it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have the vision. You did not have the vision. <laughs> I was like, I was like an asbestic, asbestic factory. <laughs> uh, so that's what they, they got to say upon inspection. Like, was this asbestos made by women by any chance? <laughs> so in 1911, 1912, he's 28, he's 29. Uh, during this time, he goes to these, uh, He almost every day, he goes to this, these theater performances. It's like, like a traveling, traveling theater by these, uh, it's these Yiddish actors And he, he, he befriends them, and they, they start teaching him about Eastern Jewish culture. Uh, and so Eastern. He, he, Eastern Jewish culture. Uh, and I, I'm not exactly familiar on the, on details, but, but it also that he, you know, with his dad being uh, as not religious as he was, Kafka, he understood some of the earliest stories, but it's not like he was, he, he was it was a part of his life, you know? Uh, so from these actors, he, he learns of uh, old Hasidic Jewish, Jewish stories. Maybe this is even what he learns, if not earlier. There's an old story in, the, in his ghetto of, uh, of the Gollum, the, what is basically a Jewish Frankenstein. Yeah. That, uh, you know, one, one, one preacher or, or, or one um, um, rabbi, ra rabbi uh, every, he, would, he would write uh, truth on his head. And the Gollum, this... this This Frankenstein, he would go out. Man made out of clay, usually, right? Yeah, yeah. He would protect the he would protect the neighborhood, and then uh, every Friday, you know, he, he couldn't work, so the the preacher would take off the first two letters, and so it would spell death. Then, and then there's the story of one one Saturday or every Saturday they wouldn't work, and they just one Saturday or was it Sunday? No, one Sunday. What am I doing? Saturday, uh, Saturday. Uh, and so then one day he for one time he forgets to. To, to, to take off the first two letters and so then the monster starts tearing apart the 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 neighborhood and so this is just an old story this kind of and it's something that you can this uh, it's big part of the like Hasidic mythology it's, it's, it's religious like but it's also you know it's absurd in a way that you know many stories in the Bible maybe many what we consider Christian stories are not absurd in this you know this monster this This man-made monster. It's not a god-made yeah. thing. It's this. Yeah, know. the man. Yeah, the golem is an archetypal story that that transcends just uh, Judaism for yeah, sure. It's, sure. It's a but very it is, human story. But wouldn't you? It's about creating something you can't control, right? Certainly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Certainly. So it's sure. pre-Frankenstonian. <laughs> yeah. Well, Frankenstein sounds like a Jewish name to me. John. <laughs> right. It does. That's very true. Uh, and it's also Frankenstein's monster. It's invoked uh, in in the uh, the Sopranos. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's a very very. It's a I think it's a very archetypal human story. Uh, yeah. And, also, and but the, the the Jews have the advantage of being one of the oldest civilizations in the world, so it, it probably uh, originated with them, or perhaps. Uh, yeah, it, and in this neighborhood, there's a there's a church that is is incredibly old, and and you know there are rumors that some of the original writings of this are in the mm. in the attic of the church. Yeah, uh, one, I'm sorry, real quick, but yeah, go. one of the things I I think is interesting about um, 
the Jewish side of faith is that, um, you know, there isn't like really the forgiveness. But there's also, there's not the damnation either. Well, there's definitely the, uh, what you've done is written though. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, no, that happened. That happened. And right. It's not as as if there's going to be, yeah, fire and brimstone. There's no over hell, it. right? But there is going to be, I think, maybe more of a uh, a reckoning. Yeah, a little bit more of a, a purgatorical kind of mm. thing going on. But well, also, that's, that's all stuff I need to, to deal know. with. At the very least, you have to deal with the the reckoning of your community. Yes. Yeah. Like, but nothing is really washed away or anything like that. It's kind of very serious, where they're just kind of like, no, that's those. That definitely happened. So well, and that's karma too, right? Like karma, people say, "Oh, karma's a bitch," because what goes around comes around. That's not really how karma works. Karma is really just a tally of your deeds. Ah, uh-huh. it's nothing. It it doesn't mean like, "Oh, you did a bad thing, and now, oh man, a couple years from now, you're gonna get hit by a bus, or you're gonna get..." No, no, no. It's just the record of the deeds yeah. that you do in all, in all lives. Ah. Uh-huh. And um, I just think I think it's very interesting that uh, the Christian faith is the one that's like, hey, well, if you say you're sorry, it's all good. Yeah, right. <laughs> very, very, very silly. I'm sorry, Matt, but I just wanted to give a little. I'm bit really more sorry. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to give a little bit more of background to some of uh, the ideas as I know them, uh, uh, and, and as inaccurate as they may be, but that might be informing. Yeah, oh, this kind of stuff. Uh, so, so you know, learning um, from these these Yiddish actors, and um, um, he he whether it's around this time, but but at, at times in his life, he does carry around a pocket uh, anthology from the Talmud, and you know, there's a thing in it, uh, and maybe this is when he starts reading it. You know, there's you know, man without a wife is not a man, is is is, is something that is a, a teaching out of it, mm-hmm. and it is a, it also so 1912, right around this time. He meets uh, Max Brode's friend uh, Felice Bauer, and uh-huh. uh, she is his first. Um, as far as we, as, as far as people know from correspondence, his first, you know, adult girlfriend of sorts. Mm-hmm. And this is what he writes from the night he met her. He writes, "I was not at all curious about who she was, but rather took her for granted at once. Bony, <laughs> empty face that wore its emptiness openly." Bare throat, a blouse thrown on, looked very domestic in her dress, although, as it turned out, she was by no means, she by no means was. Uh, And he says, almost broken nose, blonde, somewhat straight, unattractive hair, strong chin. As I was taking my seat, I looked at her closely for the first time. By the time I was seated, I already had an unshakable opinion. Damn. Oh, boy. Yeah. A lot going on. She had a bare neck and a a homely... (laughs) Homely essence. <laughs> Her chin could cut through diamond. <laughs> Her nose seemed b- broken by George Foreman himself. <laughs> a blonde hair. And her cause... face grilled upon the grill of his namesake. <laughs> <laughs> by George, this woman was wrecked. I mean, she was a real mess. <laughs> and this I was. Bitch is no motherfucking joke. <laughs> I can only tell you that I was having none of it. It was purely obscene. 
an affront to the aesthetic values of nature. In four years from now, we would be married. (laughs) (laughs) I saw her. Her visual appearance was something of an atrocity. (laughs) I was absolutely scandalized. I would never love a woman as much as I loved her. (laughs) What a piece of shit. We all are. Felice Bauer. So uh, uh, the now this is from what? I got one of these from each source. Now, the night after meeting her, he writes his first well-known story, uh, which is called The Judgment. But also, uh, the, another source says the, the judgment is written... It, the, it's in a night, is it not? Yes, yes. We'll get to that in a, in a second. Uh, the Judgment is... Another source says it's written after he doesn't attend synagogue for Yom Kippur. And oh. so maybe it was the same night. Maybe it was two nights there. He writes The Judgment, his first uh, well-known story, and he writes it all in one night from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Jesus. And he writes to Max Bro, and he says that finishing the story felt like an ejaculation. <laughs> Was he on speed? Um, Poppers? It, 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 I don't think so. In, in, okay. in, in neither of his bios that I read is anything mentioned. Uh, Benadryl? But maybe it was just so commonplace <laughs> that it wasn't, but I don't think so. No, but I mean, also being manic is like being on speed, yes. so... Just and and, and uh, you know, for him, um, the the best time for him to write would have been night because he he was in his parents' house. It was loud. Night time. His door. Right time. His, his room was a room between rooms. <laughs> People would walk through it to get to another one. It was it was incessant, and so yeah, that was, his, da- that, his dad would be stomping around looking yeah, for bones yeah, to suck. Absolutely, it was insectant. <laughs> Noise so is the, insectant. The the judgment uh, he writes it from ten a.m. to six or ten p.m. to six a.m. and he writes that it felt like an ejaculation and, and as Robertson knows at the end of his story he uses the word uh, verkir v e r k e h r and in that specific content context it means road traffic but it can also mean intercourse and so that's the last last word of his story it, to him it feels like an ejaculation hmm. he's finally he just pumps this thing out and it's he feels fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he sleeps. <laughs> but the Hard. judgment, the judgment is a story of a man who it opens with him writing to his friend, um, who's in Russia, and he says, "Hey, I'm gonna get married. I met this woman. I'm gonna get married." And then he goes into his dad's room and he um, starts telling his dad about this, and his dad is like, "Is dad? At first, his dad is old and feeble, and he's like, oh, really? Is that guy really your friend? You haven't really told him any. This is the first time you're telling him? And then his dad, he, he, he picks his dad up, and he puts his dad in bed. And then his dad bursts out of bed and is like, you bastard, you're not going to get married. I sentence you to death. Go drown in a river. And so the son, obeying his father, Leaves the yes, house, sir, sir, and then goes drowns himself in the river. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of things going on there. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Hey, you, get your damn hands off her, and also <laughs> go drown yourself in the river. Is it a short story or? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, is, is there you know. more to this story? No, I mean that's in as you know there's Okay, there are, so I think we're missing a lot of the kind of uh, um subtext. The, yeah, the subtext and the, and the 
the meta commentary of this story, right? So this is not just a story of a man who falls in love and tells his dad about it, and the dad k- tells him to kill himself. This well, is... it's like he likes this girl, and he's thinking that his dad is going to ruin it for him because his dad is this overbearing, dominating personality, I suppose. Perhaps. Uh, sure. But I think Perhaps. It's also... Good, it's good. also <laughs> I think it's more... Good guess, uh, John. Maybe a commentary on... Um, well, something I'm not smart enough to figure out right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, honestly? What do you, what do you feel like it is? Well, I, I've never heard this story, so I don't. I know I haven't read it. What so you I think couldn't it is tell maybe you. But I feel, but, but I feel like the, of what I about what what I know about Kafka is that his stories are so absurd and so um, symbolic that they cannot be taken on face value. Mm. So my my instinct is that this story is not a face value story, because it's it's lacking so much of what makes a normal narrative palatable or interesting. I think right? also a lot of uh, you know uh, very smart people and you could say perhaps somewhat autistic sorts of people um, can find you know the uh, the things that you can get knowledgeable about you know through book learning and things like this um, to be safe and solid and rules are solid and stuff like that and then you meet somebody where it's all emotion and impulse and then you're like very threatened by uh your sense of um the rules and structure being threatened uh-huh that make any sense no i lost you i get what you're saying but i don't uh especially back then i mean you've got nothing but books right and you've got nothing but you know talmud and the law and rules right. and all these right. fables and stuff like that. But and that's all good until you actually get tempted by something that is like less logical like Which is being attracted to a woman in real time and in real life. Oh, I see. So you're saying that the uh, allure of real flesh and blood attraction and love is so it's hard to reconcile with everything compared with the normal uh with the black and white Letter right. on page. Yes, I think maybe that he's going through that in that story, and that's interesting. What do you think, Matt? Matt, you're the profiler. Well, so um, I mean, I guess we can I can jump a little bit into the analysis now, and so so what so what this story ha- has is is a very seemingly normal start. A man writing to his friend, putting his dad to bed. And then suddenly the dad jumps out and says, you know, what do you, you're, he says, you're defiling your mother's memory. This tramp you're running off with, who's going to care for me? I sense mm. you to, I sent you, sense you to drown in the, it's called the judgment, right? <laughs> well, so he's going to take care of him then too. <laughs> you know, yeah, but you know, it, that's not part of, he's, yeah. he's on one. And, and so, uh, this is for <laughs> Robertson writes about how around this time and slightly before it, and certainly influencing Kafka is uh, Roland Barthes writes about the difference between early literature and modern literature, which would be modern in this time. Early literature before this is writerly texts. What is happening around this time is readerly texts. And this is idea because he the takes, increase of literacy right before so it was, it was literacy cer- was a priestly. 
Yeah. Certainly that. But, uh, be, right, priestly, because the, the difference between a, a writerly text and a readerly text, this idea is taken from Brecht's distinction of his own theater, which is active theater for the spectator as opposed to what he called culinary theater. And so culinary theater is writerly theory, which is to say they tell you everything. Readerly theory and active theater, readerly text and active theater, is where you, the reader, are part of it because you're trying to figure out what right. it means. Oh, so instead of being told everything that is happening, it, you, there's, there's unknowns, and you're mm -hmm. allowed to kind of figure Reading out... Reading between the lines, as yes. it were. And so what Kafka is doing is he's giving you the old style, here's what you know, and then suddenly a it's switch flips... It. Brilliant. And, and you don't, there's no reasoning but why, but why this man's dad does this. Mm -hmm. So why well, do you think he does it? Right? Why do, why do you think he is? So suddenly now you're taking, you're an active part of the story. Right. Hmm. Right. Because you're it, asking questions. It, mm -hmm. Do you know what this is, John? And I'll put it out there for people like us who are dumb. <laughs> it's the top spinning at the end of Inception. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Figure it out. What do you think? Yeah. Figure it out, stupid. Yeah. Uh, Kafka would later be described as a conservative modernist. So he's using... They were going to say, Kafka would later be described as the Christopher Nolan of turn-of-the-century <laughs> literature. <laughs> he's using 19th century models. This is from Robertson. Uh, using 19th century models with superficially readable narratives, but perplexing, perplexing the reader with psychological... And epistemological dogmas, enigmas. Hmm. So this is somebody who is using. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. just for my own clarification, this is somebody who is using. Uh, I don't want to say outdated, but previous generation form. With well, th things people would know. To elicit a next generation response. Yeah, is that, is that right? Well, well he's he's using, using something that's familiar, and he's using the familiar the, to set up. An unfamiliar um, to break. Pattern. He's using it as something to break away from. Right. He's saying you think you know what to expect. And showing now, black here's the to elicit white, right? Yes. Or showing white to elicit black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's interesting, man. That's fucking interesting. Huh. Smart people, man. Smart people. <laughs> uh, I'm not one. Proud to say it. Me either, man. I don't know. Really know what's going on. Uh, so keep going, keep going. Keep this is fascinating. Please, it is. So, um, uh, uh, so th that's the judgment, and you know, the part of part of his thinking into that is, you know, he he himself he expects to marry, and everybody expects him to marry. Um, but he, of course, he doesn't. He can't handle that as well. And he writes about how, in order to marry this, he writes this later in nineteen nineteen. He writes this. The longest thing he ever wrote, I believe, is a 100-page manifesto, basically, about his father and how his... And so this, this idea comes from me. But he writes about how he needs to marry to remove himself from his father, but also that by marrying, he would then have one other thing... In common, with, in his common with his father. That's brilliant. That might be the smartest thing he's ever said. <laughs> and I've never read it, but that is... Mad fucking insightful. Wow. I think it's... Uh, Damn, that's good. I, I like that a lot. I think he also shared quite a, uh, a number of 
letters with his father, even though they had this horribly tense relationship. I, I mean, I assume he did. You know, um, eventually he would move out. This whole thing, the whole thing ab- about his father, he wrote, and he could not was... give it to his father, but he gave it to his mother to give to his father, and oh, she, would, she would not do it. Wow. Both his sister and his mother read it, and they were like, don't, you shouldn't give this to me. <laughs> he, he wouldn't like that. Wow. That's fucking interesting. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what it would have done to him? <laughs> You're killing your father, Franz. <laughs> killing your father. I mean, it'd just be fascinating to see. Like that he was willing. Good to Morgan to you, sir. <laughs> you know, the guy's probably slurping on a bone or something, and they're like, Oh god. Hey, uh, uh what's his name again? Herman. Herman. <laughs> Franz has a one hundred page letter about just dissecting your brutishness and it's the longest thing he's ever written. He really gets a lot right here. Sick. It's crazy. Uh, so it's incestuous. <laughs> so what? So, what? So so he 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 expects to get married, but he's insecure about it. It also he he has all these feelings about sex and love. Um, that as Robertson writes that it makes him feel like a wandering Jew, senselessly drawn. Senselessly wandering through a senselessly dirty world, right? right? Dirty world, and but but Lost Kafka tribe. wrote Kafka wrote that he was senselessly drawn, senselessly wandering through a senseless, senselessly dirty world. But he also wrote that sex had uh, something in the, of the air that was breathed in paradise before the fall. So he loved it, but he just didn't. There was couldn't was, shake off his own. He was constantly in the refractory period, I guess, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, Matt, very good insight. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you, can you repeat that insight? Uh, uh, so did you hear the, the, the Paradise Before the Fall thing? Yes, I did. So, so I, it, it, it almost feels like when he was having sex, it was amazing. But everything, when he, every time he wasn't having sex, it, it's the, he had that, sh- that refractory shame of, oh, isn't this filthy? Oh, he was I, constantly at, in the refractory done. period. Yeah. Which is for you, John, the period in which you close all your browser <laughs> windows in shame. Yeah, which I never do. It's, it's an issue. Oh, you, yeah, they're all they're all still open. You're sick. Do you know I how have, to close windows? No, I have I have more of those windows open than my physical <laughs> windows. You only have one uh, there. Because you only have one. Yeah, no, there's it's two, thank you very much. Oh, well. uh, mm-hmm. Um I I would Matt, also I like that a lot. Yeah, well, like Aaron, hold, I... wait for my insight and shut up. Uh, you're going to like it even more, pal. <laughs> what I was going to say is the refractory period is also the uh, all of the time where there is um, uh, structure. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, and 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 the other time is just uh, you know animal primitive uh, instinct uh, in shit. chaos, pure and... obscenity and lewd lasciviousness. But seriously, I mean, yeah. you know, that's the part where it's all you know fucking up in the air. And then come to your senses. Any other time hey, is nice. is like, <laughs> yeah, come come to come your come to senses. your senses. Come come to your senses. Come <laughs> to your senses. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like yeah. there was a time you go like, oh, okay, so now what kind of formatted uh, companionship do we have? Because can we go back to the part where nothing made sense and I was spouting yeah, nonsense? Yeah, well, that, I think that's the beautiful part, right, is that, you know, uh, uh, for example, like, you know, uh, 
dogs don't have the knowledge of their own death, <laughs> right? right? So, like, that, what's the more natural state? Is the more natural state the part where you're heaving and hoeing, sweating and breathing in each other's mouths while you're bumping uglies? Mm-hmm. Or is it the part after where you are <laughs> hyper-aware of the absurdity of the situation and <laughs> the so funny, dude. disgust of your own sweaty bodies. And me and you. Which, which is more real or natural? We, I don't know. All three of us have had talks about when our dad said just insanely fucking harsh shit to us. Oh, brutal <laughs> shit. And, you know, I think so, that's sometimes, the only thing he said. Sometimes it's not even really meant to be <laughs> but i remember my fucking sitting at the ta- the table one time with my dad and uh the dog is on the floor it's the childhood dog i grew up with beautiful dog, dog. juno golden retriever the best family dog you could ever grow up with in the world she, she'd break up fights and like you know just juno what? like alaska or juno like the uh greek uh roman god the roman god got it and uh uh my dad, we were sitting there. My dad was like, you see that dog? I go, yeah. And he goes, dog has no idea it's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's such a dad. That's a perfect like, dad move. Perfect dad move. It's one of those things perfect. where I was, I was so relieved and yet so depressed over it. You know? No, just cut you. Perfect and, dad quote. And mm-hmm. I think he said it with envy. Yeah, yeah, of course yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, there's no other tr- there's no other reality other than him saying that with pure envy. Yeah, yeah. And respect. Yeah, it was it was and it just like his mind being blown like, can you imagine that fucking thing? The no bliss, clue, no clue about the <laughs> yeah. about the, the imminent bliss doom. Of it. The ignorance is bliss. <laughs> all right, I'm sorry Matt, we got way off track there, but right. please right. continue. Uh so so you know that uh, uh, this obsession both with um, sex is gross, and also I love it, right? <laughs> I love it because it's gross. Uh, it also, it, 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 in 1912, he he, uh, he um, begins something, he starts doing something that he would do on and off. Um, I, I believe he starts it now. But he's, he goes to a nudist colony in the mountains. It's part of the whole von der Vogel. Um, everybody was healthier if they're naked outdoors. It's a God. spiritual retreat. Yeah, and you got to get up in the freezing mountains. And... Um, you know, later in life, he 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 would he would call out the absurdity of um, someone uh, insulting religious belief, and yet he's like, "Well, what about all of the seminars and the the, the things at these re- the ever these retreats as well?" You know. Yeah. But 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 also during this time, there's this uh, um there's this idea of Jewish manliness. Nice. And there's a Zionist magazine that he reads, and 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 it's all about you know if, if we as Jews are going to get over stigmas about our intellect, we need you know, and not just that, but also for ourselves, we need to work on our bodies. We need to be manly. And this is a thing, of course. Then you see later, this is a thing filtering through much of society as the the manliness of the of the. Aryan Germans. Yes, yes. No, that's 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 very very uh, prescient of them yes. to see that back then. That's well, and also you know after this period of emphasis on Jewish manliness, you had Jews do- uh, dominating. I, I dare say boxing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. basketball, mm-hmm. a track and field for a period of time, um, and much of that has to do with socioeconomic status, but also. 
I think there's some maybe perhaps some overlap with the the emphasis of it because basketball and Judy and and American Jews goes hand in hand. Well, now you could even with, say it is in the 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 uh, Mossad uh, special ops uh, military. Oh, oh, yeah, IDF. I mean, they're, they're say considered, what you want, but those guys know how to beat the shit out of some people. They're Propaganda? considered. Yeah, I mean, they really are. You know, kind of like the CIA of the CIA. Yeah. Yeah, just really. They don't hardcore. fuck around. Yeah. They do not fuck around. No. Uh, so um, I don't know if it was, I don't I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, but <clears throat> also in 1912 he writes uh, the metaphor, the metamorphosis, aka the transformation. That was in 1912. 1912. It'd be published in 19, 1915. Um, he's he's 29. God. And um, so the metaphor, metamorphosis for, for anyone who who doesn't know, it, it may be um, his most. He has two stories that are probably his, his most famous, and this is one of them. And um, it is about a man who wakes up, and when he does, he is a he's a bug. Yeah, I'd say it's and, the pivotal work. It's the one I yeah. most Cockroaches. know. Cockroaches. And uh, um, uh, I'll just read uh, 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 the opening, the opening to it. And uh, as Gregor Samsa awoke one morning after disturbing dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into an enormous bug. And that's how it opens. And it doesn't, get, doesn't make any more sense from there. No, it gets crazier. As he was lying on his back, which was hard, as if made of armor, his many legs waved helplessly in front of his eyes. And that's a truncated version. But basically, the, sto- <laughs> the, sto- the story is... And that's the trunk. Did you just read two sentences and go, you get the rest? Well, <laughs> basically, so what happens is then uh, he's, he's a traveling salesman who is keeping his uh, family afloat. Um, his dad is retired. Uh, he has a sister. And um, his, he doesn't show up to work. And so his boss comes, or one of his bosses comes over and says, hey, uh, get out of here. You got to come to work. Uh, and then when he doesn't answer the door, his boss is like, you're not even, you're stealing from them. You're stealing from us, aren't you? You're not even that good of a worker. And then they open up the door. They see the bug. Everybody screams. Um, and, you know, they, I, they rec- I think his sister recognizes him. It, it's him. The family tries to live life normally. Um, eventually, they just get used to it. They start moving all of their extra junk into his room. They take in three boarders to help pay their rent. Um, and the, the, but something that's very interesting is that the, the insect never recognizes, for the most part, how absurd this is. As soon as they mm-hmm. wake up as the insect, that's it. That's what, that, there was never anything else. That's just, everything is normal to them as an insect. Yeah. And there are some moments where they see they're looking outside, and it does seem there's very human stuff about them. But um, unlike the other story where it went from normal to weird, this one synthesized. Started weird. Yeah. It is it with both. It, has, it combines both the normal and the weird, and it synthesizes them in a way that is not a stop and go like uh, like the judgment. Interesting. And that's something we can get to more, um, but, but, but there's, you know, late, and then of course at the end, um, he, um, he, he scares the boarders off because the boarders are making fun of his sister's, uh, uh, music playing. They're making and, fun of the human sister's music and not the cockroach in the master bedroom. Right. Well, cause he's hidden away from them. And then I think he, he makes some scene and he, and he comes out and, um, 
he scares everybody and his dad. You guys want to play some baseball? <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. And, and Gregor's dad uh, throws apples at him to scare him off, and one of them lands in his back. And it oh, festers. his carapace? Yeah, and it festers, and the wound festers, and oh, God. eventually kills him. And the family, mm. after, as soon An as they find, a day. they find him dead, they cross themselves, um, and then they go on holiday, and they, they're free. They, they forget are, about they, it. They are free from their son, who has been dragging them down, this insect. And they just, they, as, as, as the story ends, the parents discover that their daughter has this lovely, vivacious body, and she's going to go find a man, and they're all going to have a great life. Wow. Now that they've gotten this yeah, insect son of theirs out of the way. Bug son is gone. Now our hot, fertile human daughter, <laughs> nubile, is going to go out there and fuck some guys. Well, I mean, also... Chicks. Uh, she can pass, <laughs> pass Judaism as the mother. That's very interesting, John. Yeah. You like that observation? Yeah. As a male, he's useless. Yeah. In terms of passing oh, Judaism you guys down are generations. That's fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. Ooh, John's cutting out. Damn it. Ooh, John boy, John boy. <laughs> his bandwidth is cutting out. That's a good pose, though. And we're back. <laughs> Sorry, so, technical difficulties. My bad. All good. Uh, so, so you, the metaphor, metamorphosis, um, transformation. Maybe published in 1915, but he writes in 1912. Uh, 1912, he, he's writing to Felice, um, his girlfriend, and he, he writes about how he sees parents as persecutors, um, and he says they parents only want to drag one down to them. In the old times from which one would like to ascend with a sigh of relief. They want to do this out of love, of course, but that's what's so awful. God Ooh. almighty. Move out. Move out. Move out. 31. It is, a very, it is very much... Yes. Um, it, does have, it does have the air of somebody who's lived with their parents for too long. Yes. He's 29, yes. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know. I now hey. believe they are my most fervent persecutor. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, no, no, you know. Feed me and shelter me. And... <laughs> I mean, he does have a job, and this writing is, is starting to work out. And, and he also, but, you know, with, this, with this, his writing, he recognizes from the metamorphosis how important it is for uh, uh, not just himself to be productive, but that this is, it's good. And his, his and uh, his friends, uh, I believe, agree. The uh, work, the, the work, the piece, and and he's starting to understand that this is a thing for me. Ah. And um, Felice, uh, she uh, she shows one of his letters to a handwriting expert, um, and the the writer, the the expert says, "I detect a literary interest." And Kafka responds to this. He says, "I do not have literary interests. I consist of literature." I am nothing else and cannot be anything else. <laughs> and he later writes, he says, the tremendous world I have inside my head, I, 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 the tremendous world I have inside my head, but how to free myself and free it without being torn to pieces. And a thousand times rather be torn to pieces than retain it in me or bury it. That indeed is why I'm here. That is quite clear to me. 
Jesus. He's, 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 he's formed an idea of who he is. He's 29 now. Yes, but it also sounds like he's terrified of like letting his imagination run wild. He's he's, terif- he's, so he's terrified of not letting yes. it run wild. Yes. Ah. And he's worried that a relationship will interrupt his writing. Um, he's wor- he, uh, Someone says they'd like to sit by him while he writes, and then so in response to that, he imagines a desk in the middle of a basement cellar, unreachable by all people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Oh, boy. And, and he writes to Brode at this time something that um, is often quoted as part of Metamorphosis, but it, it is not. It's just written to Brode at this time. He writes, A picture of my existence would show a useless wooden stake covered in snow, stuck loosely at a slant in the ground, in a plowed field on the edge of a vast open plain on a dark winter night. Jesus Christ. This is a man constantly in between... <laughs> Response from Max... Take it down a notch. <laughs> Chill out, man. <laughs> said, Look, relax. Man, relax. He said, I am relaxed. I said, no, you're not. Oh, boy. 1913, he, um, one of his, um, I believe one of his letters, he describes a circular saw cutting his body into strips of meat. Huh? Really? An idea he had. Uh, a, 1930, a diary entry from 1913 describes women bodies as, a, quote, exploding sex, sexuality. Hmm. I buy that. And their, quote, natural uncleanliness. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's always two things. Yeah. They're exploding with sexuality. Also, they're sick. <laughs> <laughs> and s- insect. And then in, in 1913, he's reading more Kierkegaard, and he reads oh, Kierkegaard's for... Of course he's reading fucking Kierkegaard. Yeah, of course. And he reads the Book of the Judge, and in that, Kierkegaard writes about his struggle to balance marriage and religious commitment. And uh, Kierkegaard, you know... Catholic marriage def- is a religious commitment. <laughs> well, unless you view religion as a, something even bigger. And, and Kierkegaard, uh, Kafka definitely felt something between his, mar- you know, he, he is now engaged to Felice at this point. And he's feeling this about his own marriage and writing. Kierkegaard eventually breaks off his engagement and Kafka would, would just let his life fallow until someone else dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> You just let it fester, yeah, um, like the apple in his carapace. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but but in 1913, he does publish his first book, The Meditation. Is 18 stories he wrote between 1904 and 1912. So he finally has this. You know, it's not just publication in a magazine. He has a, a physical a collection of a collection. Then 1914, he's 31. He moves out of his parents' place. Now he's living alone for the first time. And for the first time, Felice breaks off their engagement. Um, and, and, and Kafka writes about, you know, around this time, him and Felice went furniture shopping. And he said the entire time, all he could think of was tombstones. Oh, God. And... <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean... It is. It is a, a repeating theme for everybody. He's so emo. Mm. 
Well, I mean, well, that's it's, what, yes. it, but it's yes. it's also just the it's the exact same thing as you know Frank the Tank being like Home Depot, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll have time. You know, yeah. Yeah. that is the <laughs> that's, that's the that's the, the tombstone. You know. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what's up, Mike? Um, <laughs> that thing. Let's keep that on the download. It's not exactly street it's legal. Street legal. I took off the restrictor plate. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike. That's, How perfect uh, is that? How perfect is so, that? That's retarded. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it's the whole thing of uh, you know, if you a if man you're, begrudgingly if, accepting his fate. Is that what you're saying? A man who's like, it, no, it, it's a, it's a, it. I think the instinctive I think, thing of like being neutered by doing domestic things and accepting yes. uh creating uh, a wholesome yes. family life is like But feeling resentful for doing it? Yeah, yeah because I'm a fucking coyote dog. You right. Know, I'm, like that type I'm of an shit. Um, I'm a bronco unable to be tamed. Right. Yeah. But, but it, so except he's so not forth. thinking that. He's he's thinking I'm not <laughs> above this and not even I don't deserve this. <laughs> I'm just uncomfortable. He, he, yes. he, he writes that his engagement makes him feel bound like a criminal. Yes. And, but don't you and, think that's even still an extension of that same thing, no matter how oh, intellectual oh, the exact same he tries thread, to make but it? But said by yeah. a different person. More of a thread of the arachnid descending. The <laughs> thread of the spider's silk can be beautiful, but it can also ensnare you in its... V- <laughs> Come into my parlor, said the spider to Franz. So, um, you, but, but he writes to process these things. And the, the end of his engagement... He describes it as a as a fallout, and as people are his his the the friends of his of Felice and his uh, friends, they're pestering him with why why what happened why why did it not work out, and from this he then writes two more stories. One is the trial, which is his most famous work, and the other one is the penal colony, which is get the fuck out of here. Brutal. The trial, the trial yeah. is his most famous work. I think so. Yeah. Really. If not metamorphosis. Yeah, I think I am. I, I'm i dumb, so I don't know, but I've always thought of metamorphosis being his I would most... say the metamorphosis. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But um, tell us, could you tell us a little bit about the trial? So, um, well, the trial and the penal colony, they both feature incomprehensible trials and, and, a, and, a, harsh, <laughs> and a harsh justice in response to that. The, the, the trial begins... Someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. For without having done anything Joe wrong, Joe K. <laughs> yes. Look, he's not so the, pussy the, the, the pussy boss. The pussy boss. He's straight. He's not the pussy <laughs> boss. It's all fucking lies. <laughs> he's straight as fuck. He's he's almost uh, the most bland straight type. <laughs> Blonde, loving, big tit, like like Bobby Fisher's uh, <laughs> delight. He, he's basically a buxom blonde woman. <laughs> he's just he's, he's as straight as an arrow. <laughs> His pussy's never been penetrated. <laughs> right on. <laughs> 
You know, you know see, in cool. all of his stories, so he goes from, eventually his stories, they go from names, full names, to Joseph K. And then eventually one of his last stories is just K. Hmm. Really? And he just, you know, eventually he just gets, there, and there's even uh, some stories where the, the guy's just called the Traveler. He doesn't have a name. It's just his mm-hmm. antagonist. Right. Is just, but it, so this one opens, the trial begins. Someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. For without having done anything wrong, he was arrested one morning. Mm. And it opens with him waking up, trying to start his day. There's a knock on his door. He shows up, and there's these two wardens who then tell him that he is uh, guilty. And they, he says, of what? And they say, well, you know, you must know. You know what mm-hmm. you did. And Figure it out, it, idiot. It's the story of him. He, he never, the, the protagonist never said, he, he, he says, well, I, you know, there are times where he says, I must, I must. I'm not guilty, but he never uh, goes and tries to prove it. He just insists that he isn't, and then they say he is, and eventually he accepts it, and he tries to work within the system to uh, not uh, to not have to deal with it. And, but there's all of these different, uh, uh, basically, catacombs of justice that he must go through, and then it's all incomprehensible. It's one of the. It's a very catch twenty two type thing where they say things like, "Well." We wouldn't have come for you if you weren't guilty. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what you're guilty of, but we're here, so you must be guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. And he Unless says, you've of, got something he, to hide. He says, of what? And they say, well, does it matter? The fact that you are guilty means there is something. And so this goes on and on, and um, everybody he meets, you know, is part of this whole process, this infrastructure of guilt. Mm. And um, even the his defense attorney is 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 someone who then ab- uh, almost uh, abuses him in order to prove that the defense attorney is 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 needed. The defense attorney takes advantage of him because the mm-hmm. judges are trying to get rid of the defense attorney because everybody who's here is guilty. So why they'd even need a defense attorney? Hmm. Mm. And so there's all of these machinations and levels of of organization that feed into. The eventual outcome, which is the guilty man, is then brought to a grave that is already dug and killed in it. <sighs> killed huh. in it? Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, 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 and some dark and, shit. And, and, and while Joseph at times... <laughs> well, he the, put, the grave's already dug. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mr. K, if that is your real name. I was killed in my own predetermined grave. <laughs> It was the only time I felt I had a place to belong. <laughs> the irony is palpable. Mm-hmm. Destiny so, so, but, was written. Sorry. There, no, no, no. There, there, there are, are two systems that Kafka draws from for this dynamic. And the German Empire at the time had this, this, this Kantian philosophy of law. Assumption of guilt and more responsibility. And therefore, the whole point, if you are arrested, you are guilty. And you're morally responsible. And therefore, the whole point was to determine what, just at that point, what the punishment is. Mm-hmm. If you are arrested, then, then the whole point of this court is to figure out the punishment. Because, of course, you're right. guilty. Right. But the Austrian legal code was about intent and motivation. And therefore, you could be guilty without ever having done anything illegal. Right. Oh, thought crime. Yeah. And so both of these, they both focus on the criminal and not the crime. Mm-hmm. So if you combine these two... 
you get the trial where you get a man who's simply guilty by being arrested because only the guilty are arrested, and he was arrested because, quote, the authorities do not go in search of guilt but are drawn to it. Mm. Jesus Christ. And so it, the moment he's arrested, it's immaterial, whatever he did. And he is never told what he did, and nor yeah. does he ever fight to learn what he did because yeah. it doesn't matter. Huh. Oh, boy, what a nightmare. But there is, I mean, there's also something, I think, probably in commentary about, you know, judicial things like that. Oh, where, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but, you know, when it comes to, let's say, rumors about somebody, mm-hmm. you or go... Joe Biden? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or even or even people like let's say that we know or whatever, like in comedy or something that where you just go. Okay. Like, okay. Do you want me to say a name? No, no. But I'm just uh, saying okay. I'm just saying like where you go like there's a party that goes a mm. lot, lot of smoke there. Oh, I got names. But you don't <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Where you go like uh like it's not it's not a trial, but there's a party that goes like is something right? Well, I, I suppose going. there is. You know I, mean, I, mean? I don't. I don't think this is what Kafka was saying. But is what is it when the court of public opinion becomes the official court? Well, but it just That's, shows you how that can get out of hand. Is what I'm it saying. It can get out of hand, but but I you think know, it's there, also it's an scientific... indictment of the situation that he was living in at the time, which is a a true dystopian nightmare, which is when everybody is in this kind of cube bureaucracy of it, everything is compartmentalized as well well i don't ask why they send me to arrest somebody because i assume that everybody they send me to arrest is guilty yeah and we also decided and then when you're it was a to court, jew well it's always the jews we always uh, so we decided it was a jew and then you go like well why there's no evidence and you go like well oh well yeah this is what just, the paper says and the paper it says this because the people that make the papers are told so by the now it's a his name, is, his name is Joseph K. I don't know if Jewishness ever uh, uh, comes up in the story. I can't. No, remember. I'm saying in his in his personal uh, background that might be where. Perhaps, that's in, in this yeah. case, the the minor, Jew, the Jewish person can stand in. It's whatever the minority is. It. I haven't read it, so I don't know. I'm not <laughs> going to say anything. But it is it is a nightmare scenario in which it is we don't arrest people unless they're guilty, and they don't. These people don't come to the court. To prove their innocence, they come to determine their punishment. And it is this kind right. of, there is no chain of responsibility. Yes. It is a chain of bureaucracy. Right. And what I'm and, saying is yes. that the there's a lot of smoke there theory. If you just hear about it, then you can just assume, oh yeah, if everybody says it. Oh, where there's smoke, there's more smoke. Yeah. Like if you know I like that. You know, there's, like where there's smoke, there's more smoke, and there's more smoke, and then I guess there's the idea of fire, but that's not really what we're here to find out. Right. What we're here is to punish people. Mm-hmm. But you go like it's very easy for you to go like, well, I've never had the cloud of suspicion on me for anything, and they do. So what's that about? Mm-hmm. And then if it's if it's you know several clouds, then you go like, well, let's just assume guilt, and then that's not really a scientific ap- approach to justice. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of the flip side. Um, same nightmare, but it is the kind of um, complement to the uh, Patriot Act. If you have nothing to hide, then what are you worried about? Was very much thing. 
There was a, a right. thing I listened to this week, which is, um, you know, that we're told this idea of trust is, well, open your coat. And show and yeah. it's that yeah. I trust. Take but off the, your the, shoes, the put real, everything through the scanner. The real trust is not having to Making ask that you. question. Yeah. Because yeah. you the and presumption you of, by by saying you have nothing to hide, that is a presumption of guilt. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, you're all guilty, so Well, I mean <laughs> I, yeah, I carry drugs with me all the time. Of course. I am drugs. <laughs> Salvador Dali. That is a Salvador Dali quote. I am drugs. <laughs> That's <very good. laughs> pretty good stuff. That's great stuff. Drugs? Am I holding drugs? I am drugs. I am. <laughs> Was that your Woody Allen? That's Woody <laughs> Allen as Salvador <laughs> Dali. Of, 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 I am drugs. <laughs> so... Uh, so that's, not, my, that's my that's my um, nom de plume. I am drugs. <laughs> so uh, uh, 1914, he's 31, and he he says while he's writing the trial, he he writes to Broad, I believe he says, "I have found meaning. My regular, empty, mad bachelor-like life has a justification. Hmm. He's finally he has fallen fully into um, being a turbo whore. Yeah, in essence." Yeah. Uh, in 1915, he so is hot. handed his only ever literary prize. It is not awarded to him. What it do you is mean? handed. What does to that him. mean? It's just handed. Yes. So in 1915, he got a hand job. <laughs> nice. Yeah. A nice it, story. I'll jerk you off. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends about this. Read a story about this. You so, Jew, motherfucker, you. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up and come with your big Jew dick and we can get out of here. Oh, my dear Christ. Yeah, it, was a, it was a German thing, not an Italian thing. But the, the, <laughs> the idea is the same. Maybe you <laughs> Maybe you <laughs> I'll hurry up and jerk your big circumcised Jewish dick and you can accept your award and get out of here, maybe, perhaps? Kafka does, at one point, he does, he writes about seeing a, I believe it's like a cousin's kid or... A, a friend's kid being circumcised and oh, he yeah. describes he says like the whole event is 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 just the whole thing for some reason they're all his whole family's there everybody's there to watch this at a bris yeah, yeah it's a family affair and he's like this is so absurd this it, it, it's such a historical weirdness to him he's like this this is just going to be some some <laughs> Foregone historical story of absurdity. It's a foregone this conclusion. So, this is just so weird. It's a foreskin conclusion. <laughs> I'm going to tuck this away in my memory. It's one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. His foreskin was forlorn, and it was a foregone, forsaken, forever. Hey, I mean, the child squealed like a long pig. <laughs> Long, <laughs> forlorn for his uh, schmegma, or as we called it, dick cheese. <laughs> the angel of death passed over his foreskin. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Matt. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry, Jews and Christians. 
I should say, I, I, briefly, briefly um, okay, so this literary prize. Uh, so um, the, the, it's the third ever, it was the third ever Fontaine Prize for Best Modern Narrator. That's the translation I have, at least. And there was only one judge, and the judge basically was like, I want these two authors to talk. So he gave the prize to one author, and he said, hey, can you give the cash prize to Kafka? And Kafka uh, was like... So oh. the, the nominal prize was given to the other guy, but the money was given to Kafka. He asked the prize winner to give the money, because uh, the other guy, the guy was a millionaire. Yeah, he was like, why don't you give it. Kafka the money? Uh, and Kafka... Huh. Um, <laughs> Kafka was kind of insulted by it. But he took well, the money. Well, well, I mean, that is... That is did he insulting. take the money? I don't think he did. No money. He was, he was persuaded. He was persuaded. He had to. He had to be persuaded to accept the money. It is hmm. insulting. It's emasculating yes. and it's insulting. Well, was it because his? But also, twenty uh, bucks. Twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> was it because his work was so uh, verboten? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, Joe. I'm quite verboten. <laughs> this, this is. Um, <laughs> This is the letter that he wrote um, to uh, someone else about it. He, he, Kafka writes, It is not easy to write to someone for whom you have not received direct messages and to thank him without knowing exactly what. <laughs> <laughs> no DMs? Come on. Yeah. Uh, thanks for... If you uh, could slide every... into them, that would be great. <laughs> I think the penal colony uh, is something he wrote the year before, uh, uh, right, with the trial. And I think it's a very fascinating Kafka work because it's the story of a man that is just, I think he was just called the Traveler. And he shows up to this penal colony. And Kafka was, um, he supported the Boers in the Boer War. Mm. Um, and this is a, a story that follows in that. It, it's, it's in... Um, it's always a punitive theme, though. Yes. And, and Trial, judgment, penal colony. It's yes. always... Yeah. yeah. The penal colony. And the next story he writes is The Advocate. Um, Jesus this, uh, but the penal colony is is uh, the traveler shows up um, to this colony, and as he shows up, a, a soldier is is about to be put into a machine, and the soldier, what happened to him is he he, he fell asleep um, uh, on his post, and he was whipped to wake up, and as he woke up and was whipped, he fought back, and so his punishment was now to be put in this machine, and what the machine does is it's this basically a sandwich. Uh -huh. Of there's the panini a panini press in in essence yeah and the top part of the panini is not a grill but it is a a a series of of glass um, needles that will then no. carve the judgment in the man doesn't know what he what the judgment is what he has been put into it for it will be carved into his skin over the course of twelve hours until it drives Jesus. all the way through him and kills him. That so is a nightmare scenario. The commander says to the traveler, and he says, um, what do you think? <laughs> and, and the traveler's like, this isn't just at all. This is madness. It's punitive. And the commander goes, oh. And he shows him a picture, and he says, well, then I am in violation. And the traveler goes, I don't see anything. It's just a scribble. And the commander goes, no, it says, my, 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 the one thing I had to do was be just. That's what it says on this scribble. Hmm. And so then the commander takes off the soldier from the machine and puts and himself, puts in himself it. into it. And then the Whoa. machine malfunctions, drives straight through the commander, drives a bolt through his head, and then deposits him in the grave. So is the, tra the traveler as the outsider 
yes. is the the uh, observer who is truly impartial. Is that is that kind of what it's in, getting in at? essence? And, and and it's one of the very few stories with this kind of torturous I guess ending. It's a glimmer of hope. Where where where? The, well, yeah, I mean, this is the one of the very few where the the person who stands up succeeds against the the hegemony. Yes, and 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 and, and but it, it's also unlike the trial. Mm. He fight. He he does fight back. He doesn't accept yeah. the. He doesn't accept accept what he's told is the truth. Mm. He doesn't accept the organizational <clears throat> routine because he's traveled. Yes, yeah. I mean, he's well, I mean, the age. traveler. The traveler also, you know, might be the kind of deus ex machina of, you know, or even just God Himself being like, "Hey, this is all fucked up. What the fuck are you doing here?" You know what I mean? He, he could be, but but the, the right. commander already has this. He has this. Diagram that he's told he has to be just. And sure. Once he, yeah. once he has violates that, well, then he must go into the machine. Yeah, but it does seem yearning for an understanding person. Certainly, yes, absolutely. Yeah, compared to the other stuff, which is very interesting. Uh, Nineteen seventeen. Um, his engagement with Felice. Uh, this is the second time it breaks off, and this time it is for good. Over their five years, they would only ever meet in person, um, a handful of weeks over five hmm. years. Their entire relationship was spent letter writing. Jesus. Even though he, she was in Berlin, he was in Prague. It, it, it was like, I don't know, a six, seven hour journey. I can't remember, but it was uh, just enough. Too long. For, it was just enough for him to be like, this Get is going to be great. <laughs> we never D- have different to. area code. It's not cheating, bro. Uh-huh. It's going to be so hot. Oh, oh man, God. you have aged. Sick. <laughs> What? Nice. Uh, in uh, 1917, he writes a short story, The Advocate, which the main character, Bucephalus, um, was a Macedonian war horse under Alexander the Great, but has since, through study... Metamorphosized? ...has become a human lawyer. And the only <laughs> way you know that it is a horse is there are various people this throughout the story. Talk. There's like, yeah. There's one guy who was an expert in racehorses who was like, wow, you know, that... This lawyer's that, dick is huge, <laughs> man. Exactly. I'm just a simple racehorse. <laughs> Metamorphosized into a common lawyer. Your ways of language confuse and scare me. Does anybody have any sugar cubes? <laughs> and, uh, um... Jesus Christ. But Sorry. He, but he writes about this, um... You know, big hot Ka- horse. Kafka, um, a lot. Do you trust his narrators? This is also a thing that I, I believe is relatively new uh, um, at the time. Is the unreliable narrator mm-hmm. Joseph Ooh, yeah. K? You know, Joseph K is talking about how he's innocent, but but do we know What's that? Say? What I mean, it, it, the unreliable narrator is a part of the active reading. You know, you it yes. is easy. You have to, you have, it's a thing that we, every time you read now, you have to say, who's telling me this story? Is it the audition or is, is it the person? Right. It's, Mm. um, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a literary example of Plato's allegory of the cave. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that was a very, that was a very modern literature movement. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, man. That's a very good point. Also in 1917. Can you, can you trust what you're reading? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, can you trust what you're watching? It's part of the experience. Yes. Reader as participant in the narrative. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, don't don't tell me too much. I want. I don't want to get into uh, this week's Westworld. It was uh, it <laughs> uh, 1917. He also he attempts to join the army. Of course, the World War One's happening by now, um, and he attempts to join the army, but he's instead diagnosed with tuberculosis. <sighs> and in Total his mind, Bohemian. yeah, in his mind, he is now condemned. My to medical write. leave. <laughs> what? In his mind, he's what? He's condemned to write. The rest ah. of his life is now writing because what eventually um, he leaves the insurance company. They they put him on a pension. Uh, for the rest of his life, uh, from this point on, he never holds an office job because he's paid not to work. Because he has, I mean, yeah, and he has tuberculosis, and which is a disease that they have no way they do not treat. Back then. And yeah, he's got to move to Arizona or something. Yeah, he, he moves he's, to the country is what he does. He spends time in sanatoriums and he goes out of the country and visits his sister and the farm. And is he expected to do creative writing for a living? I mean, not necessarily. It's just it, 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 that's who he is. He okay. um, he is literature, John. Remember that. But it's not it's not like expected by society at the time. No, 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 no. But he's but paid, he is, he's go paid to convalesce. Yes. All right. He he is he is known among writers as a writer to know among, among thinkers, and um, <laughs> he's not necessarily um, famous by any means. But you know, right. um, 1917. He also writes a short story called "The Silence of the Sirens," mm-hmm. and in it, he 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 argues that um, it is it is not the the song of the sirens that makes them dangerous. It is when they are making no noise that makes them dangerous. And he talks about how Odysseus, when Odysseus has the wax in his ears, he is still attracted to the sirens because he assumes through their movements that they are sexual and he is attracted to that. He doesn't know what sound they're making, but he assumes yeah. that through their movement it is a, it is a sexual act and he's attracted yeah. to that. That's a pretty deep... Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. You like that? That's a pretty deep breakdown because Odysseus has the men on his ship... Tie him to the mast. Yeah. Right. So he doesn't have the wax in his ears. Right. You're, you're right. But his, his uh, the, he may have wax in his ears. I, I can't remember. But that may be part but of it. I, 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 I do Q-tip think. era. Yes. What'd you just say? I said it's a pre-Q-tip era. <laughs> That's right. It's such a vibrant thing. <laughs> Very. <laughs> On those ships, they had no cotton swabs. Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, we'll fuck with swab in the poop deck, Joe. Yeah, he he made his men tie. He wanted to hear the songs, but uh, they made he made his men tie. Right. Okay. So in his version, mask. Ulysses yeah. does have the wax in his ears. But yeah, but uh, yes, I concede that he had the wax in his ears as yes. well. But what is so interesting is that it is. Uh, to to coin a phrase that we've said on the show many times, it's the space between the notes. Yes, yes, exactly. It's not it's not when you're doing the lines that you feel a pull. It's when you're not doing the lines that you think I should do another line of coke. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? Am yeah. I right? Yeah. That's pretty good, I, man. That's pretty good shit, Joe. That's- Man, that's really good, Kafka. That's really good shit. And uh, Kafka opens the story by, he writes, um, he writes, proof that inadequate, even childish measures may serve to rescue one from peril. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Oh boy. You know, sometimes you hear stuff that you just realize <laughs> that you're not smart. <laughs> and that usually happens of But all again, the time this is for me. this is his introduction to a story <laughs> that he wrote that changes Odysseus's story a little bit. It, sure, it, it, it is self-serving fine. itself. Oh, that's fine. But it is it is uh, very clever. It's very good, very clever. Uh, I love much, that. much less clever, but interesting. Uh, in 1917, he also has a, a diary entry called "A Life," and it's about life as a dog. Uh, huh? And he and he writes he he describes life thusly. He says, "Quote a stinking bitch, <laughs> bearer of many children, already rotting in places, but which everything to me in my childhood." which incessantly follows me faithfully, which I cannot bring myself to strike, and before which, avoiding her breath, I move back step by step, and which, if I don't make a different decision, will force me into the deadly, visible angle of the wall, so that she may completely decay on me, and with me to the last, does it honor me? The pus and worm-filled flesh of her tongue in my hand. Uh... This is a man going through... Some shit? Yeah. The left, the right, some swirl of insanity and emotion. Yeah, that's the... That's is the... the is that all Felice that's the drivel of, yeah. That's the drivel of a madman who's supremely talented. <sighs> it's just you know, sometimes crazy... Sometimes Felice. <laughs> supremely talented people can... Uh, supremely talented people can... Uh, uh, spew out bullshit. Yeah, yeah. This is using a bad place. Bullshit. This, yeah, yeah. It's like when Charlie Sheen was like, ah, "I drink tiger blood and I can bang out six gram rocks and bang hookers without condoms and I'm fine." And you're like, "Well, you're clearly crazy, but that's hot fire shit." Yeah, the quotes nice. are are substantial. And thank right. you, thank you for also... that. But you're crazy. <laughs> But you, I like you. <laughs> I like you. We're crazy. Yeah. I guess back then, though, when everybody was like a genius, or whatever, you'd be like, I'm going to write down everything they say. And you're like, they're on like a ton of fucking GHB and or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but you also imagine, you know, everybody, all correspondence is, is physical. Everybody's yeah, keeping a and, diary. You know, yeah, exactly. The correspondence was collated and, and recorded and all that. And, also, I mean, I think not everybody the, had paper and ink. So, like, it, you know, if you were going to commit something down to paper and ink and send it through the post, you know, you, you really wanted it, you meant for it to be uh, regarded as such. Well, well, I mean, sometimes you just threw it away. I think it's passages like that that made Kafka, um, on his deathbed, ask Max Brode to burn everything. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yes. We've known a few people on this show who are like, <laughs> yes. burn, burn everything I ever wrote. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Nobody ever respects um, the wishes. <laughs> I am mailing this to the yeah. record office. Well, well, no one, well, well, uh, no one but the Nazis. Yeah. They're the only oh, no, people. They got, they got that all their shit. everything. They did a pretty good job of that, yeah. actually. Well, they, they were big into burning before they even took power. Yeah, so. that's another thing. That was uh, Books, sorry, was, records, was, Jews. Sorry, Matt. Are you going there for the for the? I mean, ending? we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, but, we were but. what we were discussing while you're having technical difficulties was making this a two-parter uh, for the analysis part of his life. 
because right. we're already at two hours. Yeah, so we should yep. get to the end of his life and then. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, then let's just let's, let's hop to it. Um, um, nineteen eighteen. He he gets his pension. Um, he lives. He, he goes to various sanatoriums. Lives in the country for his health. Nineteen nineteen. He writes that one hundred page thing to his father. All my writing was about you. I only lamented there the things I couldn't lament on your breast. Jeez. And his dad was alive. Oh, yeah. God. 1919, he publishes his short story, The Country Doctor, uh, which we'll get into the next one. 1920, he meets uh, Milena Jesenka, who is his muse of muses. And she is uh, part of, she is the, married to uh, one of the um, authors of, um, I forget his name, but he's famous for that time, maybe now, I can't remember, uh, part of this group of, of intellectuals and such. And he meets her, and they, they have an affair, and a, a very, um, and it, this is his new woman to write letters to of mm-hmm. his madness. and his, Who he was never going to have sex with anyways. Um, and she is a huge fan of him. And I'll talk about it next one, of some of the things she said about him. She is an absolutely, uh, again, never, never throws away any of their correspondence. Uh, 1922, he writes The Castle, which um, uh, it, it, he never finishes it. He cites exhaustion from illness. The Castle is a very interesting. Another one, a, a, a man shows up into town. He's a surveyor. And the town says, well, I don't, wait, why are, she, why are you here? And he says, well, I've, I've been told to survey. And they're like, well, you got to go to the castle. And the entire book is him trying to get to the castle. Mm. But the entire time he stopped by the bureaucracy of normal people and organizations. Dude, what the fuck yeah. is going on with bureaucracy at this time? It 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 is it is a structure. It is a, it yeah. like a machine. It is another. It is one other yes. thing to. It is a machine. Work yes. your way just, through. I don't know, man. I just don't think it's this big threat that everybody makes it out to be. And it's well, it was so a stupid. new thing it's at relative. the time, and it is a threat. Oh, Aaron lost. Oh, Aaron. Aaron oh. is lost. Wait, hold on. So we were talking about bureaucracy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, okay, uh, 1922, he writes The Castle, never finishes it. It comes out in 1925, I believe. Uh, 1923, he's 40 years old now. He moves to Berlin to live so with this hot. 19-year-old named Dora Demont. Jesus. Nice. She's yeah. hot? She's cute, but she's 19. <laughs> she's cute. They're probably not even... Maybe they are having sex. I don't know. Uh, but, but, but he moves to Berlin. He moves to Berlin in 1923. And Berlin is um, not a Poppin. great place to be. Oh, no, yeah. no. He's eventually he he's in poverty. There's bread lines. There's just yeah. And she she does write. She's she's like he really likes standing in lines. This guy loves standing in lines all day. But he also maybe, hates it. Yes, of course. The absurdity. He likes of, writing uh, about it. The bureaucracy of the line or something, right? The humiliation right. of. of mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, it's a but, human centipede of uh, <laughs> bread-like proportions. It's he 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 says that he writes in this time that in 1923 that he's one of the reasons he moved to Berlin is that he's running from the phantoms that made him write. So he 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 has these moments. Now he's he's turned on himself almost. Um, the things, yeah, long ago. Well, yeah, yeah but 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 the, he was into the writing, right? He was into the marriage until he wasn't. He was into the writing until now. He was into mm. until uh, um, everything that there's a, a, a the pendulum is swinging among everything in his life. Yeah. Um, but he's 23, and the last thing the spirits do to him, or the second to last, is he writes the burrow, 
in which it's a story of this animal that is um, below ground and, you know, uh, insulated in this, its own little tunnel, but it can hear all of the predators through all of the walls. Mm. It's constantly... It's constantly... Paranoid. Paranoid. And eventually, you know, do they break through? Uh, mm. He asked Dora to burn all of his writings. She does not. 1924, his throat closes up because the tuberculosis has crawled up out of his lungs and into his larynx. Jesus. His throat closes up. He can't have any more solid food. And he's in um, hospital. He's starving to death. And he's also working on... He, maybe, he probably appreciated this, even though he would never admit it. The, the irony... He was working on his... Uh, one of his last stories called The Fasting Artist or The Hunger oh. Artist. Jesus Christ! About this is something he had written before. He had started writing before this, or he, he wrote before this. Um, was it's about this this um, famous this guy who's famous for fasting, because fasting was a was a thing that was, yeah, that was yeah, big yeah, around sure. those times, and not the like, not the living skeletons, but people who would. Uh, and this story, is, the, the yes, and he was always skeptical of fasting himself, and and this story kind of comes from that, and it and he writes about this man who is in a freak show for fasting but the man's handlers will never let him fast for more than 40 days. And so eventually the man does not make enough money. And so his handlers let him go and he joins a circus and the circus doesn't care about him. So he will fat, he fasts forever until he dies. And Damn. right before he dies, someone goes, well, why are you fasting? And he says, I just never found any food I liked. <laughs> and so after he dies, they put a panther in his cage and all of these people show up, and they're like, wow, a panther. It's so full of life. This is amazing. And we'll feed it stuff. And it's kind of this, you know. And they feed it the man who has fasted. No, no, no. He, they didn't even. There was a, right before he died. Oh, they, just they, in his cage, they replaced. Cage. Yes, yes, they replaced him. They didn't even know he was, he was dying. The, before that question was asked to him about why he fasted, people were walking by, and then someone was like, oh, there's a pile of, there's a man in that straw. Damn. Uh, so he but, fasted. He fasted to the point of irrelevance. Yes. 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 Oh. Is, oh, and it was called the fasting artist or the hunger artist. Right. Oh, by, hey, Mark. By, by way of uh, disinterest. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, there's. Do you a, think there's ever been a more German story ever written? <laughs> <laughs> I there found is a taste of cuisine entirely though. bland. I thought I'd rather go to my grave, depriving myself. The, the thing you are, the thing you are known for, or the 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 thing that that you you're not you're not allowed to do it to your um, satisfactory amount, and you know eventually when you are, I'd love to you. fast forever, but unfortunately, the shackles of my own biology have limited my <laughs> artistic talents. So there. I'm resigned to eating three or four schnitzels per month. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a it, slow faster. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1924, uh, he's editing this. He's on his deathbed. He asked that he can only write. He can't talk anymore. His larynx has been destroyed by the tuberculosis. Jeez, he can only write, and he writes his doctor. He asks his doctor for euthanasia. The doctor says no, and he writes to the doctor. He says, "If you don't kill me, you're a murderer." I love that. 
And then shortly after that. that, he dies, 1924. He's uh, 41 years old. Um, Milena Jasenka, in, in her obit for him, she writes, he was a man condemned to regard the world with such blinding clarity that he found it unbearable and went to his death. He yes. has to, he has Brode to, to burn everything. Brode does not. Um, he doesn't. Um, the Brode even he um, he he publishes the Hunger Artist in the Castle uh, posthumously. Um, I believe uh, the trial too. The, well, the trial, yes, the trial Brode had to put together because Kafka wrote he in, he was in such a frenzy and he also knew that he he was late he 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 was he was um he he would put these things off he wrote the first chapter and the last chapter first immediately <laughs> he wrote those two and then he nice. spent the rest of the time filling it in but he took the folder he put it in folders and he didn't number them and so, so there was smart. no order to it and so right. broad had to had Figure to and, and so there so whatever order it is in is not the right order or it is it doesn't it is what it is. Um, Let me ask both of you: What do you think about that? The, the lack of, um, you know, kind of falling in with the wishes from somebody like Max Brode, who's the, the close friend that has. Well, I, I would have to imagine that somebody like Kafka knew that they wouldn't f- follow his wishes, anyways. Yeah, but yeah if I mean, those it, are yeah. your explicit wishes. Do you not? Yeah, well, what, you got to read between the lines of some people's wishes sometimes. I mean, for a guy like Kafka, he, it, it, that's interesting. Maybe, Aaron. Ma- maybe one day he's like, "This is great," and the next day he says, "Burn it all." I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I think Road, right, Road was Road was his it, best friend for over is, half his life. I think he, I think he had an idea. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's still, it's a little tough. It tough is, it me. is, it is selfish, selfish for all of us. Yeah. And of you course know, I'm you glad saw Knives did. Out. You know how tricky <laughs> wills are. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, when, of course. We, we, I, I do think just about go that, like, yes. You're like, listen, I just want to be remembered for the metamorphosis and my published works and these other things, like, whatever. And then, like... You can't... You... But, 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 but the thing is, he wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have been remembered at all. When his without, books are translated... The... His books are, when his books are translated into English in the 1930s, then he gets international recognition. And and then, as Robertson writes, that this is the the Anglo-American phenomenon catches up with him. W. H. Auden, nineteen forty-one, one writes uh, had ha, had to name one artist who comes nearest to bearing the same kind of relation to our age that Dante, Shakespeare, and Goethe bears to them. Kafka is the first one I would think of, without Good that time. being translated Good into time. English. Jesus, he does not he does not become the Kafka we know. Mm-hmm. And so, Unless he's translated into English, mm-hmm. which is the result of keeping all those manuscripts or, or those unpublished works around. Yeah. Aaron, I would say you might be more knowledgeable about this sort of thing than I would, but would you say that you think Kafka is kind of like the one that's like between the Kierkegaard and the the science fiction like Matheson huh. type thing? Isn't he kind of like he, right he, on the he, precipice his, of that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, I don't know if Kierkegaard Kierkegaard is the right bookend, but it is kind of a it is um, philosophical speculative fiction, right? It's not so sci-fi as it is 
absurdism. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know. I don't know if the bookends that you've supplied are the, are, are the right ones. I don't know if they're the wrong ones, but I do think he does toe that line in between philosophy and fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like a crazy thing as a way of an like exposing a point, I think is kind of well, like, yeah. And he, ser- he certainly had a theme, right, or or yeah. a, a pattern, right, Matt. Like he did have this kind of ongoing theme of a rejection of an obsession mm-hmm. with bureaucracy. It's so fascinating. That's that. Well, it's that all, just... it was also a new thing at the time because monarchies were falling all over the globe, yes. and they were being replaced by republics and quote unquote democracies. And and when you have those things coming. Uh, into their own, there's downsides to those as well, right? The benefit to a monarchy or a benef- uh, or an authoritarian regime is that it's what one man says goes. Mm-hmm. And the downside to a democracy is that it's the best form of government or it's the worst form of government except all others. Right. right. So it's the, you know, it, there's a lot of bullshit you have to deal with. So it, when one of these new things comes about, you're, you're going to have... Um, bones to pick with it, and I think that was the kind of time that the man found himself in. Um, what was it that brought the the story to you, Matt? Um, I well, I read um years ago. I read Metaphor- Metamorphosis, and then a couple years ago, I read The Trial, and it just it, it's one of those um, Trial is one of the ones that was supposed to be burned. Uh, I think so. I got Max Brod. Yeah, no, I, I did I did read that. That okay. was that was one of the things that was supposed to be destroyed. It, I mean, it, there's there's it's a, it's a story that is um I find I found it laughable. I found it hilarious in in some ways. Because it's but a, good? it's, it's so absurd. Good. Yes, it's fr- frustrating. Because mm. you know, as even as the reader, you are are stymied as much like Joseph K is. You 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 are yeah, shot out of well, you go out in this fucking thing. And then there's these reading it. in each of these, especially with in this one in the trial, there are these moments of 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 sexuality and um, if you didn't know better, you would think they were having sex. Um, and 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 there is eroticism to mm. this this these weird small little moments, and then there there is frustration, and so there's all of these things that you can. You recognize in your own life these moments of wait, why did the cop do this? Wait, why is this? An att- why am I attracted to this person in this moment? All of this is weird, and there's no real right answer for it, and it's all absurd and stupid. And 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 in re- reading it, I, there's no way I came from those going. There's something about this guy. There's something mm-hmm. about him that yeah. that is in this. That is as deeply confusing to him as it is to me. Hmm. Um, and it was just, a, it was a very, um, just exciting. I, I was at this, I was in San Diego at this like, uh, 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 fucking comic book store in the middle of one of those like, uh, business parks where it's just, everybody pulls up their, 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 uh, garage door at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where I found this Kafka Arkram. David Zane Merowitz book and reading that it was like oh yeah Kafka he was a manic he was, he was a goof but it, yeah. it finally gave me perspective into the guy who uh, Kafka-esque is, is, is not scary it's only scary that's a, that's a personal that's a mm. personal projection scary yeah 
absurd doesn't for me absurd is funny, but for some people absurd is scary, mm. and I understand that. Yeah, um, and, and a lot of stuff is yeah. people also putting their their fears out on the page too. So yeah, it's uh it's not as if he I mean uh, he apparently had a um, overwhelming uh, terrifying fear of mice. Oh, that's interesting. About that never Kafka. that 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 uh, never uh, came up. I mean, one thing that came up a lot was in the translation of the 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 metamorphosis, is that some translations called it an insect, but the yeah. the, trans, the original phrasing is vermin. I was going to say vermin. Shit. No shit. Yeah, be, because it's 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 not an insect has this this idea of the vermin is a thing that is just unwelcome. No matter yeah, what. Yeah, vermin is. can be an insect yeah, or a rat. One of the, the random things I heard about Kafka was that he had a um, terrifying, I mean, just absolutely horrifying fear of mice. No, that's funny. Uh, and that now Orwell had a fear of rats. Right from the Spanish Civil War, that's running right. over his legs in the, yeah. in the in trenches. The trenches. Yeah. Um, well, maybe if we all want to be good writers, we should get a crippling fear of some kind of vermin. I suppose, be it possum <laughs> or a raccoon, <laughs> or yeah, one with thumbs, lice, <laughs> earwigs. So, Matt, next time, do you want to? I mean, are you? Do you? We'll have... do a deep dive into the um, more into this philosophy of this uh, character that you've uh, Ka- Kafka, Kafka. Cat Frank? Cat Do you have Do you have a, a wrap up that you want to dish before we? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's there's there's, there's two little things. Uh, one is uh, Robertson uh, writes that uh, uh, that Kafka is is uh, classic. He's a, the versatility of his work confirms its greatness. For a classic work is precisely one that can be viewed afresh from every new angle. Mm. There is, mm-hmm. a, you know, there's a th- applicable thing. Uh, one thing, but my uh, Kafka, um, he does, he, he is religious in some ways, um, but he's constantly trying to figure it out. And there's just this one passage he wrote. Um, he says, suffering is the only positive element in this world. Indeed, it is the only link between this world and the positive. Only here is suffering, suffering. Not as thought those who suffer here are elsewhere to be elevated because of this suffering. But what is in this world is called suffering. In another world, unchanged and merely free from its opposite, is bliss. And hmm. a, So he's got this weird Buddhist element to his uh Life is suffering. And, and what connects us to, you know, as, as when he was younger, learning about uh, Hasidism and the gods are approachable. Jesus is suffering. We are suffering. People on earth are suffering. Hmm. Is that not a connection to? The, the, right. It's not, it's it's not some the, Christian, um, unknowable, insane heaven somewhere. Maybe it's here. This kind right, of and it seems to be a, a theme in his work of uh, the definition of its thing by its opposite. Mm-hmm. By pointing out suffering, I'm illuminating you to bliss. Yes. Or you experiencing pointing... suffering is illuminating you to bliss. Right, right. Because that that um, that's fucking interesting, man. As it was something I was reading earlier. Uh, I don't know what it was. Uh, God, it must have been. I must have been listening to something on YouTube. Well, it does tie into your theory you've been repeating about the best times we had was during the. 
Blitz of London. The Blitz of London. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Nice. I think it's some. I think I definitely think it's related to that. Um, in in sometimes you know the worst of times are the best of times, but sometimes you don't. And I, I, maybe this is too reductionist, but you don't appreciate the dark without the light, or you don't appreciate sure. the light without the dark. But for sure, there I I, been, I would think I was reading something in the past few weeks during this whole quarantine thing that was very much in line with the using the opposite of one thing to illuminate it by by just you know using absurd what's the opposite of absurdity order mm-hmm. right so so kafka is is using bureaucracy the order to highlight it, absurdity it or to yeah. use absurdity to highlight bureaucracy is, is the order not absurd the order is absurd absolutely yes perfect exactly yeah, so sure. it's, it's it does seem to be a theme of his work um and that's that's um I think that's the stroke of a true artist, right? It's not the notes that you play. It's the notes that you don't play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the space between the words. That's and now you're very, actor, very good, you're, Matt. The reader is filling that in. Exactly. That's really, really good stuff, Matt. I like that a lot. I really do. I can't wait for the second part of this episode. We're going to get a little more deep into this, is, uh, I presume? Yes, absolutely. Very exciting time. John, what right. do you think? I think it's going to be a, 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 a grand old deep discussion. Oh, you know, I love it when it's deep and old. Oh, God. <laughs> if you'd like to find out more about the weird, bizarre ideas of this friend's Kafka character, check us out over on the Patreon. Extra episode a week, five bucks a month. Don't even worry about it. You're getting Just that stimulus it. check. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe. Come on, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into the real shit. Don't be weird. It's all right. <laughs> right? Ooh. You oh. down with that, Matt? Yeah. That sound nice? Is yeah. that something you might be interested in, Joe? <laughs> now, does that sound like something you might be interested in? What, that Nazi sled? Get real. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's do a, a to be continued right now. And I'm going to say goodnight. My name is John Fahey. My name is Aaron Pita. I also say goodnight. Mapper's Good night, everybody. We love you. Bye.